Night Owl Live, the show for PC users who can handle the truth. And now, here's your host, Gene Steinberg. This week on the Tech Night Out Live, we'll talk about the Amazon Kindle Fire, the Barnes & Noble Nook, iTunes Match, and a lot more. We'll have Dan Morin of Macworld Magazine, Adam Inks of Tidbits and Take Control Books, and Sasha Segan of PCMag.com. All this and more on the Tech Night Out Live. <laughs> so finally... Two weeks late, Apple releases iTunes Match, and so we've called on someone who, I don't know if he's an expert, but has a lot of FaceTime with iTunes Match. We're going to get the answers from Macworld's Dan Morin. Dan, tell us, for those who are wondering, what is iTunes Match all about? What's the fuss all about? This is one of those products that Apple hasn't necessarily done a good job of sort of, here's the message of iTunes Match. But I think the simplest way to sort of sum it up is say, the idea is to have all of your music accessible to you no matter what device you're using at any time. If you're using your iPhone, your iPad, your Mac, whatever, you always have access to your full iTunes library so you can listen to any song that you own that you would like. It comes along with a lot of benefits or other features that, that come in there, but I think that's sort of the, the easiest way to encapsulate. Okay, but there are limitations here. Theory being here, though, that if you have music you bought from elsewhere, and technically if you have music you acquired from elsewhere, you know, we don't want to get into the implications of that, iTunes will attempt to match it. The, the couple things that that happen here are, for one thing, as you said, if you've got music that you've acquired elsewhere, say you've ripped it from your CD or you've acquired it from some other place, let's not go into too much detail on that, but then this is in your iTunes library. Rather than having you just upload all your music, which is something that uh, competing services like Google Music's forthcoming sort of, I think it's in beta right now, Google Music, and Amazon's Cloud Player. Well, of course, uh, remember, and- by the way, that everything from Google is beta. <laughs> anyway, the way those that and Amazon system work is you have to upload all of your music. You're basically just using an online storage service. You upload all your music to you know some sort of storage service, and then you can listen to it using a web a web browser or in some cases an app. iTunes does this a little differently. So what Apple is saying is, well, we already have this huge catalog of songs that we sell through our, through the iTunes store. So what we're going to do is sort of scan your library and see how many of the songs in there we can match with a song from our catalog. And then rather than uploading those songs, which is, you know, obviously would consume a lot of time and bandwidth, we'll just say, all right, they own this song. We'll sort of check a box and say they have access to this song. It's a little bit like what a subscription service does, but instead of giving you access to unfettered access to their catalog, they're just giving you access to the songs that you've already presumably purchased. The idea is, you know, like I said, it saves time, it saves bandwidth, and hopefully it's a little bit more efficient. And then you get nice benefits, such as the fact that any song that gets matched and that you then download, you get in a 256 kilobit AAC file, which may be better than uh, a lot of the quality of tracks that you already have. I understand, though, that if the music falls below a certain resolution, 96K, it won't match it. That's what I read. That is what I've heard, but I also heard that you can actually fix that by re-encoding them at 128. So using iTunes to convert it to a 128-kilobit MP3, which you know won't improve the quality on that file, but it should hopefully resolve any matching problem. All right, so in that case there, it's still looking for the iTunes equivalent. Right. It doesn't really, as far as in theory it goes, it doesn't matter what the, the quality of the songs that you have in your library are. It's just matching it based on the audio therein. Okay. Now, the other question we have here, and this is one which I wondered about and tried to test and the results are crazy. 
is supposedly you have music that has since been remastered. Like, for example, you bought the Beatles on CD in the 1980s when they first came on CD. In 2009, they were remastered. And, of course, last year, the Beatles came on iTunes. So the version from iTunes is based probably on that 2009 remaster. It's an enhanced digital version. So the question would be is, you import or rip one of your Beatles CDs, will Apple match it or upload it? Because even though technically it's the same album, it's a different master. So as it happens, I, I actually have tried this. I have a pretty extensive Beatles library, to use that as our, our, as our example here. Uh, I ran into rather an interesting result, which is to say it matched slightly more than, more than half my songs. I actually have a list here. I'm just going to glance at really quickly because I, I made some I want to talk to you about this because I ran into the similar situation. Yeah, I ended up with about 145 matched songs and 80 uploaded songs. And they were a mix I mean, it's sometimes split from an album. I think I have all of Abbey Road matched except for one track and a few others where it's like half and half for an album or what have you. Uh, I don't know why, if it has something to do with the, the fingerprint of those songs or what. I'm not entirely sure. I have a couple cuts that are from other albums that are not... I have some like instrumental covers or something, which I don't think are matched to any existing album that they have in their database, but yeah, it's a bizarre result, and I'm not sure exactly what the deal is with that. It is what they call bizarro. As a matter of fact, I'll give you my sample. Abbey Road, okay? Everything was matched except she came in through the bathroom window. That happens to be exactly what Okay, <laughs> from the Beatles' White Album, Disc 1, everything matched except Wild Honey Pie and the continuing story of Bungalow Bill, Don't Pass Me By, Why Don't We Do It in the Road, and Revolution Number 1, Revolution Number 9, and Good Night, which is the closing song on Disc 2. For help, it's You're Gonna Lose That Girl and Ticket to Ride were uploaded, as was Dizzy Miss Lizzie, but the other songs were matched go figure yep very similar to what i'm seeing and it may just be that their catalog is still or at least you know whatever database they're using to doing the match is possibly still incomplete or there may be yeah i don't know that's it's interesting that we seem to have a lot of the same songs that did not get matched. well i assume but if it matches out. a song for one person it matches it for the other if it uploads it for you it uploads it for me it's this, well, it's theory, it's yes. not I mean, the Gene the Steinberg is... database or the Dan Morin database. Right. So I think what this helps potentially eliminate is the idea that it's just, say, a corrupted song file. Because um, that's a potential. I've ran into a couple incidents where things have failed to match because there's an error in the audio file. So by saying that we have the exact same tracks that fail to match, it potentially eliminates the idea that it's just an, you know a one-off error in those it's files. It's not you. But <laughs> I hopefully it's not me, but I mean it's possible that they may be refining the database. While this was in beta, I know that they didn't have a complete database yet, so not all songs would match at the time. And so they sort of, as it incremented through the beta process, they expanded that, and more and more songs matched. So it's possible they're still incorporating that. I mean, there are a ton, there are millions of songs on iTunes, and maybe they've got a lot of them, but not all of them yet, or maybe it's just the algorithm needs some refinement. Now, the obvious question here is, is there a way to force iTunes Match to rescan 
all your tunes or do you have to delete everything and start again? I haven't figured this out yet. In cases where there's actually an error, so instead of saying match or upload, it gives you an error. I've found that you can re if you re-encode the song or if you save it using an audio editor like Fission, which does lossless saving, that may actually iron out some of those problems or converting it to an AIFF. I don't know about forcing it to rematch things. That's something we're investigating. Oh, okay. Well, it'd be good to know also whether Apple will basically give you a chance to rebuild the database. Have it rescan all your tunes one more time and see whether it needs to deal with the uploaded songs or the matched ones. Or maybe the best answer is leave well enough alone for a while and then try again in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I think that's not a bad idea. I'm looking about all right. <laughs> oh, okay. So kind of hoping here that maybe, as we were suggesting, we leave well enough alone, give Apple a chance to fix what ails iTunes match, and maybe we'll get a better match in a few weeks. I think that might be the smartest uh, approach for the moment. And, of course, like I said, we'll be looking into this and seeing if we can figure out what's uh, causing these discrepancies and if there's anything that you can do at the moment to uh, sort of uh, pat your library into better shape. Well, in the meantime, okay, so maybe 85% of the Beatles' albums I have so far ripped into iTunes are replaced by the new digitally remastered version. The rest aren't. We have Dan Morin. He's from Macworld Magazine. We're exploring the magic, mystery, and the frustration, and I'll have more to say about that with iTunes Match on the Tech Night Out Live. Hey, folks. In today's fast-paced work environment, getting everyone in the same room for a meeting can be challenging, especially when they work in different locations. And that's why I use GoToMeeting with HD Faces by Citrix. It is amazing. You can collaborate online by sharing your presentation. While seeing colleagues face-to-face in high definition, they can hide their blemishes. Video quality is so clear and natural, it's like being in the same room. And all you need is an Internet connection with a webcam It's that easy. So here's what I can do. For example, on the Paracast, which I host with my friend Chris O'Brien, we live in different locations. We need to share something, a document or something like that. All I have to do is call him up with GoToMeeting, and I say, Chris, take a look at this, and he said he's ready to go. You can try GoToMeeting with HD Faces free for 30 days. Visit GoToMeeting.com, click the Try It Free button, enter the promo code PODCAST, use the promo code PODCAST. Making the right decisions is a challenge to investors. Are we going to see economic growth, slide into a recession, or at worst, depression? Hi, Ted Anderson from Midas Resources. We all know when a company acts irresponsibly, divesting ourselves in a move towards safety is prudent. When the market becomes volatile, U.S. Treasuries are a safe haven. But what do you do when the U.S. government overextends itself and spends beyond its means? Many investors are turning toward gold as a common-sense alternative to traditional paper investments. Midas Resources has put together a powerful book titled 10 Reasons to Own Gold, discussing costs, benefits, risks, featuring full-color illustrations, weights, and measures. The book is free and can be yours by calling 800-686-2237. Paper investments are dwarfed by gold's 6,000-year history. Discover how gold may be right for you and your IRA by calling 800-686-2237. Whether buying or it's time for you to sell, the book is free. Call 800-686-2237. Thomas Jefferson once said, When the people fear their government, there is tyranny. When the government fears the people, 
there is liberty. Our God-given right to life and liberty and the right to determine what is best for our lives and our family's health are in jeopardy. If we the people do not diligently assert these rights, they may be taken away and lost forever. Utopia Silver is known for fighting for health freedom, and we will not meekly allow ourselves to be led as lambs to the slaughter. Sitting passively by and accepting the chains of slavery that are being placed on America is not an option. Please stand with Utopia Silver in this fight. Utopia Silver carries some of the most effective colloidal silver products on the market and numerous other high-quality health supplements. Visit us today at utopiasilver.com. That's U-T-O-P-I-A, utopiasilver.com. Or call us today at 1-888-213-4338. 1-888-213-4338. What looks good under your Christmas tree and tastes even better? Big Berkey water filters. Yes, the gift of clean water. A gift that provides a great foundation for achieving good health in the lives of your loved ones. A big Berkey water filter gives them protection from bacteria, heavy metals, chlorine, fluoride, pesticides and herbicides, VOCs and more. And best of all, a big Berkey water filter is a gift that lasts for many years with no additional investment. And that saves time and money in filter replacements that other water filters require and are even powerful enough to purify treated, untreated, or even stagnant pond water. As always, all orders over $50 are shipped free, and GCN listeners get 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Order online at BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com, spelled Big, B-E-R-K-E-Y, WaterFilters.com, or call 877-99-BERKEY. That's 877-99-B-E-R-K-E-Y. Gift well this Christmas. Give a Big Berkey water filter. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, send it to news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. And don't forget, you can visit the famous Tech Night Owl community forums at forum.technightowl.com. Get in on all the action. That's forum.technightowl.com. With Dan Morin and Gene Steinberg on the Tech Night Out Live, we are exploring iTunes Match, where for $24.99 a month, up to 25,000 of your musical tracks can be put in the cloud, matched up with either Apple's equivalent song, and what is equivalent could be a fuzzy logic factor, and of course, the rest of your library will just be uploaded. Of course, if you have any of the, what, six million songs that Apple has in their library, or whatever the figure is now, you stand a pretty good chance of having it matched. The other album I had problems with, by the way, was Best of Blondie. Same issue. An album Sound I don't of- have, so I can't confirm. <laughs> well, you're not a Blondie fan. You're not that old. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I have a few of their songs, but not, I don't have that particular album. But there are, I mean, I ended up with, I'm trying to remember how many songs I ended up with. It did a pretty good job. I think somewhere over 65 to 70% I got matched, but there is definitely a, a significant chunk that did not. Now, the other question I guess I would have over all this is, obviously, we don't want to say you did it. Did you check any songs that may have been acquired from a place we can't mention and see if Apple would match those? I will say that I have plenty of songs that get ripped from CD, which matched with no, no problem, and that I didn't notice any pattern among the songs and where they were acquired from that suggested it would not match some songs, but it would match other songs. Okay. To be diplomatic. We appreciate your diplomacy. Now, in other areas of iTunes Match, any glitches other than the matching issues? 
I think it's still, it's very early, obviously, and so it's hard to tell exactly what's going on. I haven't noticed anything that's too sort of endemic. I've noticed little things here and there that are interesting. For example, keep in mind that iTunes on your Mac lets you stream a song instead of downloading it. When you play it on your iOS device, it basically downloads a copy first. That's nice in some ways because it means that if you play a song and then you go back to that song later, you don't download it twice or you don't stream it twice, essentially. If you run into a place where internet access isn't very good or the cell phone is not connecting properly because you're in one of those so-called dead spots, you're not stuck with the inability to listen to music. Right. If you're traveling uh, in the desert somewhere and you're not near a cell tower... And you're not obviously near a Wi-Fi hotspot. You'll probably want to load up some music locally on your computer if you know that you're going to end up in one of those places. And my colleague Lex Friedman has a good tip uh, over at Macworld, which is that there's a way to sort of grandfather in some of your locally stored songs uh, while using Match. So you can, you can make sure that you have some, like, a good selection of songs that are locally stored on the device just in case you're going to be away from an Internet connection. All right. Well, that helps. That's definitely going to help. So hopefully that will be the solution or a possible solution. Now, obviously, system works iTunes match if all your Macs, PCs, and iOS devices are using the same Apple ID. Right. Because we now have the great Apple ID conundrum. And that is a lot of you, people out there, and I'm sure that, you know, very few have just one Apple ID. Different family members have different Apple IDs. But Apple has not yet figured out how to reconcile that dilemma. Now, yes and no. As it turns out, and this comes from another uh, tip from one of my other colleagues, Serenity Caldwell, uh, it turns out that you can actually, essentially, I'm, I'm, let's see if I can remember exactly how it works. Um, if someone else authorized you to play music on their computer, so, for example, she had, my colleague Serenity had, uh, tracks that were purchased using, say, her parents' iTunes account at some time in the past. It turns out that if your computer is authorized to play those tracks, that you can, in fact, match them, I believe. And if you then download those tracks and somehow your computer becomes deauthorized, the downloaded tracks should still be available on your computer. So there's kind of a loophole. I don't know if it's something Apple will correct or if they'll just say, hey, we'll leave well enough alone. But it does seem that there is some facility for having uh, tracks from multiple iTunes accounts. And, in fact, the version that you re-download will bear your username in the metadata instead of the original purchasing account. I got a worse problem, though. Now imagine, for example, if for whatever reason your iPhone in the past 90 days was set up with a different Apple ID. Yeah. Now there's a problem. It could be a mistake. You know, oh, I logged in with the wrong one. Let me log out and log in with the right one. Now try to run iCloud and iTunes match on it and see what it tells you. That is not something I have tested. But, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right that, that Apple, the Apple ID issue, now that it, especially now that it's linked to iCloud, and iTunes, there starts to get some trickiness when you're dealing with multiple IDs. And unfortunately, there's not, I think, a really good solution at present for dealing with that. Okay, here's what happens. And I ran into the situation where I had a problem because obviously when I went to iCloud, it's using my MobileMe account. But I use a different Apple ID for iTunes, one I've had since day one of iTunes. So I worked with someone from Apple's Express Support chat line. If you have iCloud 
and you have certain types of problems, you can actually have a one-on-one online chat with someone from Apple. Okay? Very convenient. You can do this with iTunes. iTunes is all email. If you want to resolve anything by telephone, and of course your iOS device is not currently under warranty, well, then you can pay $49 per incident unless you can convince them it's Apple's fault. So that's how it goes. But by the way, wait till you check the prices to get support from Microsoft for Microsoft Word, which I think is $259 each incident. Did you ever see that, Dan? We won't talk about that. I, I haven't, yeah. <laughs> I haven't dealt with Microsoft. Oh, you don't want to. Okay, so here's the situation. So in order to separate this, I reset my iCloud account to include my standard Apple ID and set up my mobile me username which is now an iCloud email account, separately. Fine. Somewhere along the line, my iPhone, which was at that point, I guess, synced with my Mac, got to thinking that my mobile me account was the Apple ID I was supposed to use. So when you fix that, suddenly you're told, well, you're now trying to use iTunes Match with something that's run by another Apple username. You've got to wait 90 days to fix it. Okay. Are you with me so okay. far? I'm so far with you. It's convoluted. It's very convoluted here. In other words, if you ever enter a different Apple ID on your iPhone, even if right. it is the result of being synced with your Mac, something that Apple tells you, which of course is my case here, Apple told me what to do to kind of separate the accounts on my Mac. It was inherited by my iPhone. So now I have this message. Anytime I try to turn on iTunes Match, it says that an Apple ID is already in use. Are you with me so far? An Apple ID is already in use, and you can't change this for 90 days. That means for 90 days on the iPhone, I cannot access my music from iCloud. Now, I have an option. I could just sync the music from iTunes. It'll download, like it did before, it'll download my music. It'll download my photos everything can sync with my Mac and fill up the storage that way. That's the workaround. But I can't use iCloud and iTunes Match on that iPhone until this is sorted out. And I've complained to Apple's support. We'll let our listeners know what happens. We have Dan Warren from Macworld. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack Attack of the Rockoids. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans the galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition.
Ready for cold and flu season? Now's the time to get ready and save during the pre-winter sale at HerbalHealer.com. Stock up on powerful, natural flu fighters like olive leaf extract, elderberry power, and grapefruit seed liquid. Don't forget your vitamin D3 this winter. Right now, HerbalHealer.com has 120 soft gels, 1,000 IUs, on sale for only $9. And remember, HerbalHealer.com offers eFoods Global Products. Delicious, premium, storable foods that contain no MSG. No trans fats, no GMO, and have a 25-year shelf life. Click the eFoods link on HerbalHealer.com and try eFood storable meals for free. Bookmark HerbalHealer.com, then experience live chat, correspondence courses, and sign up for our free newsletter. As always, new customers get a free 128-page catalog with your order. Log on and hit the pre-winter specials at HerbalHealer.com. Healing the world with nature, one person at a time, since 1988. Smokers, are you still smoking traditional cigarettes? Are you still smelling up your clothes and car interior, staining your teeth, and getting ashes everywhere? Why? When you could be smoking or vaping with e-cigarettes by LaSig. With LaSig e-cigarettes revolutionary microelectronic technology, rechargeable battery, and unique replacement cartridges, you'll get all the satisfaction of smoking, but no smoking hazards. Choose from a wide variety of our new American-made Vapriate e-liquid flavors at LaSig.com, spelled L-E-C-I-G.com, or call 870-518-4307. That's 870-518-4307. LaSig e-cigarettes for today's modern smoker. Warning, e-cigs may contain nicotine, an addictive substance known to the state of California to cause birth defects or cancer. Please be aware of the risks associated with e-cigs prior to use. You must be 18 years or older to purchase. Hi, this is Alex Jones. This holiday season, more than half of our nation is in need of help due to the shattered economy. So now is the time to express the holiday spirit more than ever. Consider helping those you love with the most important gift, a supply of delicious, easy to fix, and very storable foods from eFoodsDirect.com. Their holiday gift and family pack start at $99 for a 16-day supply. All their five-week supply of quick and easy-to-fix meals includes a personal backpack in case of a grab-and-go emergency. Order their combo gift pack, and you'll save hundreds, plus get free shipping on your entire order. Call eFoods today at 800-409-5633 or visit them online at eFoodsDirect.com forward slash Alex to find the special. That's 800-409-5633 or eFoodsDirect.com forward slash Alex. You can bet your life on eFoodsDirect. Live with Gene Steinberg. It's the Tech Night Owl. Because you never know what's going to happen next. We have Dan Moran of Macworld. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. You've heard my tale of woe, okay? That I can't use my iPhone with iTunes Match and iCloud because somewhere along the line... It had gotten accidentally logged into a different Apple ID account. And Apple can't reset it, they say. The only option they gave me was to restore the phone, set it up as a new phone, which didn't work, or go to Apple and see if they'll exchange my iPhone. Yeah. It's the trouble we have when we tie up so much information into a single account now. And having, because they're free accounts, 
now for the most part, except for iTunes Match, you could end up with a multitude. I had another one that I used for testing during some of the beta iCloud stuff because I didn't want to mess with my existing data. Aren't you lucky? Yeah. Well, I mean, and so I ended up restoring my phone a bunch of times, and it seemed to work out, but it was not the most convenient thing, and I wasn't, you know, I was still using that for mainly just iCloud stuff, not iTunes Match. But, yeah, there's... There's a lot of issues right now with the Apple ID, and I think especially now that they've tied it into all these things, that Apple's going to have to come up with some better solutions for dealing with the issue where you might have multiple accounts or where you want to share information between multiple accounts because, say, you and your spouse both have separate IDs, but, you know, you're purchasing music. Do you, can you share that music? What have you. I think that's, that's going to need some work. Isn't it, folks? A real big mess here, and Apple has to sort things out. Now, in general, if we're looking over at the entire iCloud transition, how do you think it worked out for you? So far, pretty well. I mean, I think that, you know, there were some growing pains in the first few days after after iCloud um, had launched. I think we're still in the very early period with iTunes Match, and there was some weirdness in the first day or so that it was available. I know they had to shut down new subscriptions for a while because they were just getting inundated, but... Uh, overall, I think, and especially as we continue to get farther from these launches, uh, it seems like things are going pretty well, and we have some. There's some really cool capabilities to all these to the, all these features that they've rolled out, uh, and I think in the long run, it will be something that really sets the whole iOS ecosphere apart from its competitors. If we're looking at all these services compared to what Google is doing, compared to what Amazon is doing. How does Apple have an advantage here? Well, I mean, they have a lot of advantages that they have traditionally had. For one thing, um, you know, they control A to Z pretty much on their devices. Amazon has done a lot of work, especially now. They've just launched, of course, their Kindle Fire tablet. Um, And, you know, that's their first time they're really doing a device that is more than just an e-reader. But they're basing it on Android. It is a very, very different uh, you know, products than a lot of Android products. They've sort of forked it off and done their own thing with it, but it still means they're relying on a base of code that was developed by someone else. Um, and I think they uh, there's a lot of differences in their experience with device making. Um, they don't, and they're and both they and Google have different goals when it comes to selling products. I mean, Google is an advertising company. Their product is you, the user. They're selling that to advertisers. And so to a certain extent, everything that they do has to link into that. Amazon's point is they're a retailer. So as several people I've heard have said the Kindle Fire is great if you want to buy stuff from Amazon, which is kind of what it's good at, but it may not be so great at the kind of things that the iPad is good at. Apple wants to sell you stuff, devices. That's what their their bread and butter is, make you buy iPads and iPhones. And in that sense, I think it you know there's an advantage there that works well over both Amazon and Google. Now, Amazon appears to be using what we call the printer or Gillette razor philosophy, which is you sell the product for what it costs to make without a profit or less than it costs to make, and you depend on sales of other stuff to make money. So, for example, with Gillette razors, we know. With printers, the consumables is where they make their money. With Amazon, they want to sell you ebooks, They want to sell you streaming content. They want to sell you cosmetics if that's what you want. It's all to sell their products. This is kind of the lost leader to drag you into the Amazon ecosystem and sell you stuff. Apple doesn't care if you never buy an app from the App Store. Never buy an app. Just stick with the free stuff. You can still use your iPad or your iPhone 
for the basic functions and never pay another dime. Absolutely. You know, I think people talk a lot about Apple locking you into their ecosystem, which is, I think, more or less kind of ridiculous because, as we're saying here, the amount of money they make off, even even add up all the apps you buy off the store, and the amount of money they're making off that pales in comparison to how much you paid for that iPad or iPhone. <laughs> so it's, you know, that's nice. It's a nice additional revenue stream for them, I'm sure. But it's not it's not where the bulk of their money's coming from. It's coming from the fact that you're buying their you're buying their hardware. And remember, um, they have to set up an infrastructure to process payments, to give payments to app developers, book authors, publishers, etc. They obviously make a profit from the rest, but it's not big profit. Yeah. Yeah, I mean traditionally they've said that they operate the store at slightly above break even. And I think that's probably true. I see no reason to doubt them on that. I mean, they're, they're going to brag about profit where they can make it, which is to say they sell millions and millions of iOS devices. Exactly. And so that's the goal of it. Obviously, the benefit of something like a Kindle Fire is you pay a lot less money. But then what do you do with it? I mean, it seems to be a decent e-reader. But in every other respect from the reviews I've read, it seems to fall down. The interface is kind of sluggish, kind of buggy. I mean, you're selling something for the holidays, and it sounds to me like it's not quite finished. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it's got a much higher emphasis on being a media consumption device. Sure, but wouldn't you want an operating system that's responsive? I mean, that's the biggest criticism. If you look at the early reviews, I don't know, have you folks at Macworld reviewed one yet? uh, No, we've definitely had one at the uh, PC. Our colleagues at PC World, I know, are taking a look at it. I think we will be taking a look at it at some point in the near future. Right, and we're going to be talking with some of the other journalists who have reviewed it. But if you look at our good friend, Dave, David Pogue. Of course, our friend David Pogue has reviewed it. We saw Walter Mossberg. Walt Mossberg reviewed the Kindle Fire and was not impressed. Yeah, I mean, everything I've heard suggests that there's not a great, uh, you know, <laughs> the, the responsiveness isn't great. And in some ways, this doesn't surprise me, even though it's become such a high-selling, high popular-selling thing. I think it's already towards the top of Amazon's best-selling list. But, um, you know, keep in mind that Nobody really, you can't use one before buying one, right? I mean, there's no store to go to really where you can play with a Kindle Fire like you can go to the Apple store and play with an iPad. Nobody had one until it got released. You couldn't see your friend's Kindle Fire and be like, oh, that looks cool. But I think, you know, what Amazon, the savvy part of what Amazon did was say it's 200 bucks, which is, you know, cheap enough for a lot of people that they're willing to sort of take a plunge on it in a way that they're not for the iPad. And the other problem, of course, is, though, will there be buyer's remorse? You know, it's like, for example, a highly advertised movie, an action flick, gets a great box office the first week, and then people hear word of mouth, oh, I saw that film, it sucked, big rocks, you know, it's really bad film. So the box office falls down tremendously the second week. And we have to think, well, will the Kindle Fire sustain itself after people get them and say, you know what, it's not all that great? Yeah, it's possible that they won't. I mean, you know, I think that the earlier reviews have come in now and it's Amazon is now have to do, has to do some damage control and figure out if they need to fix these things uh, in the next version if people are, you know, if they really want people to buy it. This is something Amazon should have considered except in the rush to get it out before the holidays. And that puts constraints on the development process. You know, they have to get this thing out at this time. Hopefully, it won't have too many bugs. Hopefully, they could push an update. I guess they can push updates to it 
to fix some of these problems so that by the time the holiday purchasing is really here, we have Black Friday and everything coming up, people will start buying these things in quantity. There won't be this problem where they'll be saying, you know what, I don't like it. And this is the problem that a lot of manufacturers have had with tablets in general that compete with the iPad. Really difficult issues where the initial version scores very low. Poor user interface, bugs, problems. So people return those things, and that can cause great havoc. If you look at any of these products like the BlackBerry Playbook or the HP Touchpad, they had a lot of returns, didn't they? Dan Warren from Macworld Magazine, where a little bit later we'll talk to someone who has actually done an in-depth review of the Amazon Kindle Fire on the Tech Night Owl Live. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs. Convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com We all know that Berkey Water Purification Systems are the most trusted name in water filtration. As an authorized Berkey dealer for over six years in serving thousands of satisfied customers, the Berkey Guy offers amazing specials for Berkey Water Filtration Systems. The Berkey Light Systems include a set of self-sterilizing and recleanable black purification elements that purify water by removing chlorine, pathogenic bacteria, cysts and parasites to non-detectable levels and remove harmful chemicals such as herbicides and pesticides. Order the Berkey Light System today, complete with two black Berkey elements for only $231, and the Berkey Guy will ship your order free of charge. With the purchase of a Berkey Light, the Berkey Guy is also offering a set of fluoride and arsenic filters for only $39.99. That's over 30% off the retail price. Call the Berkey Guy at 1 886 3653. That's 1 886 3653. Or order online at goberkey.com. That's goberkey.com today. Positive results from satisfied customers of Heart and Body Extract continue to pour into our website, hbextract.com. This is Al from New Jersey. One day I saw your ad for Heart and Body Extract, and it mentioned that it would help me with angina, so I decided to order. I fear I had nothing to lose. Heart and Body Extract supplies your body with everything it needs to balance itself and maintain optimal heart and circulatory health with no negative side effects. I took the formula three times a day as directed, and I kid you not, within four days, my angina pain was completely gone. Order HB Extract by calling 866-295-5305 or online at hbextract.com. That's 866-295-5305 or hbextract.com. 
I could not believe it actually stopped the pain. Heart and Body Extract actually works. This is just an amazing product. Even the numbness in my hands is completely gone. Heart and Body Extract for a long and healthy life. Whatever winter activity you enjoy, from snowmobiling, snowshoeing, skiing, or camping, there's inherent danger that you may find yourself having to stay warm. Be ready with Instafire, a revolutionary, safe, simple, and versatile fire starter. Instafire is a patented blend of volcanic rock, wood pellets, and paraffin wax that gets a fire blazing in just minutes. Instafire is self-sustaining fire that starts right on top of snow or water and even burns wet wood. Sound incredible? It is. Check it out at instafire.com, a must for any outdoor or winter activity. Instafire easily lights with matches or flintlock lighters, is environmentally friendly, stores easy, is lightweight, comes in a variety of sizes, and starts at a buck twenty-five for a single pack or only fifty-nine ninety-five for a five-gallon pail with free shipping. Go to instafire.com, spelled I-N-S-T-A Fire.com, or call 888-482-4868. That's 888-482-4868. Safe, simple, versatile. Instafire. you know what's going to happen next? Well, here's the Tech Night Owl, live with Gene Steinberg. We have Dan Warren of Macworld Magazine. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl live. And we switch from the iTunes match conundrum and some of the early bugs, like the one I'm having with my iPhone, and we've gone into some of these other tablets that compete with the iPad. Have you played with many of those devices? Which ones? The like the Kindle and the well, touchpad? obviously not the Kindle, but the touchpad no, and the BlackBerry Playbook, that thing. I haven't really had a chance to use most of the uh, the Android tablets, mostly because it seems like every time they come out, they're kind of underwhelming. I briefly had a hands-on with a friend had a uh, Motorola Zoom. But I think that may be the only one that I've actually really spent any time with, and that was not very long. I, it, it, they kind of have the same problem that Android phones do, which it seems like there's a better one, quote-unquote, better one coming out every week, right? I haven't really had the, <laughs> had the chance to spend a lot of time with them before people sort of write them off. That is the problem here. They get out so many products so quickly that nothing ever catches on. You know, there's no commitment to a single product. We're going to promote this product because we're stuck with it for a year. Let's get it right. Oh, it doesn't work. We'll bring out another product next week. Yeah, that's well, I mean, that's the approach in some ways with these with these companies who, you know, are more focused on sort of copycat and trying, trying to capitalize on the wave. Right. There's been a huge success with things like the iPhone and the iPad. And I think a lot of people are now saying, oh, we got to get to that market fast. They're interested in being there, but they're not necessarily interested in putting in the time to make a competitive effort there. It is. Release it now. We'll figure it out how it works then. And isn't that what Google does? They keep throwing out new versions of their Android OS. And before you get a chance to look at one, they've got the new version out. And that yeah, drives you I dizzy. Mean, right. I think, it's a, I think it's an issue, but it's you know, kind of the way. It's the difference in philosophies because you know, keep in mind that you know, Google is not making these phones really, right? They're licensing their operating system. So to a certain extent, it's within their interest to get as many vendors on board as possible. Um, and you know, I think those vendors are not necessarily as concerned with maintaining that forward upgrade path, right? Because they'll just come out with a new phone. And then we have to look at the way the Google ecosystem is fragmented. Now, remember that the Kindle Fire uses Android, but so heavily laden with Amazon's own refinements that as far as an Android OS device, it might as well exist on a different planet. Yeah. I mean, it's not 
really Android, right? It's it's its own thing that's just happened to be forked off of Android, and so it sort of used it as a launching pad, but it's totally Amazon, Amazon's turned it into its own thing. And I suspect they used it as a place to start, right? Because it's a lot of... <laughs> it's certainly pretty hard to build your own operating system from the ground up, and Amazon really has no experience with that. So might as well leverage some of the, you know, this freely available software to do that. Now, that's the other issue, too. Amazon has always been a reseller of other people's products. Now, suddenly, they're getting into the game of producing their own gear. So do they have the infrastructure for that? I guess the Kindle has been pretty successful as a standalone, single-purpose book reader. But when you try to expand beyond that, you know, what is Amazon's expertise? At least when Apple came out with the iPad, we knew they had built a Newton back in the 1990s. They've been building consumer electronics gear since the 1970s. They have a little background. Where's Amazon's background? Right. Amazon's background is in selling stuff, you know, and they that's what they do best, right? They're, they're a great retailer. I love ordering stuff from Amazon. It doesn't mean I necessarily want to buy a tablet from them, but... Well, I guess as an ebook reader, maybe there are advantages. They also reduce the price of the other Kindles, but you get ads with them. How's that work? Yeah, I actually have one of the new Kindles, the low-end one, the non-touch one, because, again, it was 80 bucks, like you were talking about with the, uh, the razors and the blades. It was $80. I was like, oh, I've, I've kind of wanted to check out a Kindle. I read a lot of books, so I, I figured 80 bucks. that's that's really, <laughs> you got me. So I bought one, and it's got these special offers on it, which are very special. It's not that bad. I don't really, it doesn't bother me, because the only place they show up are on the, uh, the sort of the screensaver when you're not using it, and at the bottom of the main menu. So they're not particularly invasive. They don't come up like while you're reading or anything like that. It's not like pop-up ads. And for me, it's an exchange I'm willing to make. And plus, there's the alternative of saying, well, if at some point down the road I want to get rid of them, it's like 30 bucks to get rid of them, and I, I might consider paying that. But right now, it's kind of a secondary okay, thing. Okay, let, let me clarify here. Okay, you can get it ad-free by paying more money. Yes, you can. You can pay 30 bucks at base the current Kindle. The non-touch version is $80 with special offers and $110 without special offers. If you buy the version with the special offers and at some point say, I'm sick of these ads, I would like to turn them off, you can pay the difference in order to turn them off. So it's ad-subsidized? Uh, more or less, right? I mean, the same way that they're, you know, sure, they're, they're taking a bath by saying we're going to sell this and hope that you, we make it up in you buying a lot of books, but they're sort of adding a future, an additional subsidy by saying we're going to put ads on it. Now, to be fair, a lot of the ads are pretty, you know, like there are some good offers on there. There are some things that are reasonable to say, oh, yeah, that sounds actually like a pretty good deal, as with any ad. And they're not really terribly offensive. Obviously, Amazon's selecting certain things. They're not, it's not just willy-nilly ads like on the Internet. It's not in your face. No, not at all. All right. Well, I guess we can go for that. I kind of think that would be okay just for strictly an ebook reader. And then the other question, of course, I would have about a Kindle Fire. It's a seven-inch device, and Steve Jobs has said, and Steve Jobs tends to be right more often than not, bless his soul, that people don't want seven-inch tablets. So when you get beyond just basic e-reading where seven inches is just fine, well, we have to see how people will want to do other things on their Kindle Fire. We never know. One final issue to talk about. The battery life issues on the iPhone 4S, you encounter any problems of that sort? Yeah, I don't have a 4S yet, uh, although I did just order one. Um, my 4 is definitely, I've seen some some battery reduction there. Its life is not as good as it used to be. Then again, I'm also using certain things. I've been using the hotspot feature a lot lately, and I think that, that definitely drains it down a lot. 
But yeah, there are still some issues. It does seem like the battery life under iOS 5 is not as good as under iOS 4, even after the recent patch. And I know that Apple is investigating a few isolated issues, they say, with even after 5.01 was released. So we'll see how that goes. So next there will be supposedly a 5.0.2. There already are rumors about it, by the way. Uh, yeah, I've, so I've heard, but I don't know. I don't know. I have no information about that specific. About all we hear is if Apple seeds a beta version to iOS developers, that will get into certain sites who carry information of that sort. Otherwise, we won't know until it comes out. It may be just a single-purpose update. Maybe Apple says, well, we got to fix 75% of the problems, get the update out there, satisfy those people, fix a few other problems. There were some security fixes in iOS 5.0.1. And now we've got a couple other issues. Let's work those out and just do a targeted update just to address those problems. Yeah. it's. I mean, you know. There's always software updates. I'm sure that they're constantly improving things. And the other issue I think raised by one of our guests last week is if you have a battery life problem with an Android smartphone, you may never get the update because your carrier won't push it to you. Yeah, that's a a very real problem. There's no, you know, because you're depending on the carriers in that case, you, you know, you may or may not end up with it. Certain phones just can't upgrade to newer versions or can only upgrade so far. So Apple does draw a line, right? You know, it's usually about two generations back now. So there are some, you know, there are definitely some phones that can't do, you know, your 3G, an iPhone 3G can't run iOS 5. So, you know, that happens. But they're fairly clear in delineating that, and it's not a matter of because there's only a couple models of phones, and it's not as though they release several phones at once. They have, you know, gradient like every year they release a new phone. So they'll say, well, that one's older, just it doesn't have the horsepower. But since there are multiple Android vendors with multiple models of Android phones, you never quite know what you're getting. It seems like kind of a crap. And also remember that some of the smartphone makers who have Android devices will fiddle with the operating system. They'll put their own custom themes and features, not to the extent that Amazon did with the Kindle Fire, but some changes which kind of forces you to go to them to get the upgrade. Yeah, so I think that, you know, it's even more fragmentation, really, and I think that's a very distinct approach from the way that Apple does it, which is the goal is to eliminate fragmentation as much as they can. Also, dependable. You have a problem like this. What if there was a severe security problem? By the way, there were some security fixes with iPhone iOS 5.0.1. What if you have a brand spanking new Android smartphone from Motorola, Samsung, HTC, latest and greatest, a security problem? Will you ever get the necessary update? What's going to happen? It's a it's an open question. I think it's one of the things that that uh, Google needs to address in terms of going forward with its platform is how it's going to handle that because it is a serious issue. If we start, somebody figures out how to exploit something uh, in an older version of the Android software, and those people have no upgrade path, what is Google just going to tell them to throw it out and buy a new phone? Because <laughs> Certainly seems three hundred fifty dollars in early termination fees. Take your pick. Anyway, what do you have coming up for us in MacWorld? Well, we'll be covering a lot more iTunes Match stuff as we sort of delve into its ins and outs. Um, And well, we're coming up on the holiday season, so I'm sure we'll have plenty of holiday-related stories on Mac. And Dan, I wonder if other people are going to run into that (laughs) Apple ID conundrum that I encountered. Yeah, we. Uh, I know we did a little bit of looking back when uh, iCloud first launched into what you can do with multiple IDs, but I, th- I suspect the problem will become more widespread if it's really a, a major issue. Thank there. you so much, Dan Morin, for joining us on the Tech Night Out Live. 
Thanks. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Hi, Ted Anderson announcing a great way to listen to radio on the telephone. By calling 760-569-7700, you'll be hearing GCNlive.com programs in seconds. Come to GCNlive.com, find your favorite host's dedicated phone number, and hear them 24-7. You heard me right, every show has a dedicated phone number. Stop by GCNlive.com and bookmark their number today. And again, that's 760-569-7700. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Tech Night All Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. With Adam Inks to Tidbits Magazine, I should tell our listeners that between the time we did our session with Dan Warren at Macworld and the time I talked to Adam, I've been in further touch with Apple iTunes support about resolving the curious iTunes match problem I have. And guess what? I have never seen such dumb responses. Now, here's how it works, as we explained in our previous segment. If you have an iCloud problem, you can have an online chat, an express lane chat with them. If you have an iTunes store problem, well, you have to deal with email support. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So, are you with me so far? Yep. Okay. So, all they told me is that I needed to register my account with my standard Apple ID. And the problem that I'm having would be resolved. Of course, I've told them about five times I've done that. The message I'm getting is when I go to iTunes, I set up everything in iTunes for iTunes Match. On my iPhone 4 with iOS 5.0.1, I make sure everything is registered with the same Apple ID. When I turn on automatic downloads for music or any of the automatic download functions or iTunes Match, I get the following message. This device is already associated with an Apple ID. Hmm. You're darn right. It's the same one as I'm using on my desktop Mac. So somewhere along the line, that device is registering incorrectly at Apple's computers. Do you have Do you have two Apple IDs? I have several. I have more than two. Yeah, I, most of us do. So. Yeah, I have the, three that I've ever used. But the only other one that they might consider an Apple ID is the one for iCloud because of the mobile me account right I move mobile me but I registered iCloud on my Mac using my standard Apple ID for otherwise it wouldn't sync with what about iCloud. yeah I was gonna say because the, the one the one thing you can do differently with multiple Apple IDs is you can have you can use two Apple IDs and an iPhone one for sort of purchases and iTunes and all that and the other for iCloud backups Right, but no, I'm using one. I'd rather just use the one. So you've one. only got a single one in, that you've ever t- told the iPhone about? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Those Apple IDs, they sure are pesky, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, I know that. I know that. So, yeah, it's totally, totally crazy. 
And yeah. I'm just having a regular old time resolving this. Maybe by the time you hear this show, ladies and gentlemen, you might actually hear a solution. Or maybe not. <laughs> but I think if Apple's iTunes support is just going to keep telling me what I already know, we'll never resolve the problem. Or we'll have to wait 90 days for the problem to resolve itself, because that's the other thing. The thing is, it's telling me I have to wait 90 days. But, you know, will they suspend the payment of my iTunes Magic payment on my credit card for 90 days? <laughs> yeah, I mean, iTunes Match, uh, you know, you, you can't really criticize something for how it um, behaved in beta, because that's the whole point of beta. Beta means it's not done. Um, so something is perfectly allowed to not work properly during beta. And yet, when you hear about you know, the story, the stories coming out of people who are testing, and they're just shocked that something is going to ship because you know it totally doesn't work or it breaks in all these situations, then you worry a little bit more about the actual 1.0 release. And that's that's definitely iTunes Match has 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 given off those vibes. I mean, first Apple had said it was going to ship in October, and then they missed it by two weeks. And yeah, I mean, two weeks isn't a big deal in the scope of things, certainly. But given Apple's desire to live up to their dates in the past, um, that it seems to be indicative to me that you know it wasn't working as well as they thought it should be as well and and you know but at some point they've got to they've got to you know cut bait and uh uh and 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 ship it so i think that you know it's entirely possible that iTunes match and really iCloud with some of the apple id stuff is still in flux well that might be the issue there we have to worry about all those fluxes yeah, like a flux capacitor. That's what we need. I was going to say, we, the, the problem is in the flux capacitor again. Damn it. <laughs> right, right, right. No, yes, let's use a flux capacitor. That's it. I solved the problem, ladies and gentlemen. I need a flux capacitor. Once I get a flux capacitor, I'll be, you know, in perfect shape. Everything will be resolved. Everything will be whole, complete. No, what's happened here also, of course, you may have heard this, when iTunes matches some of the songs in your music library, say you've ripped a CD. So in theory, they have the CD in their inventory, so it shouldn't be a problem. They should match it. But you find that maybe one or two songs on that CD, on almost every CD you try to match, is uploaded because they can't match it. Not the entire album, one or two songs. So if you have 14 songs, maybe 10 or 12 are matched and the rest aren't. One of the things that has been sort of interesting about the whole iTunes match claim is just how they're going to match. You know, obviously, they're going to match on name and artist and all of those kinds of things, but metadata like that is notoriously unreliable that you just have no idea, you know, sort of what the capitalization will be, whether or not someone will have decided they wanted to change all the apostrophes to curly, curly single quotes, that kind of thing. And so, you know, Apple has never really said exactly what they're doing. The belief is, is that it's, they're, they're basing it more on sort of a music signature as well. But then the problem, of course, is that the music signature can probably vary a little bit based on you know the level, the bit rate it was encoded at. 
Um, it does seem odd that you know one song on a CD might be missed because you would assume that if it got the others, then whatever techniques they'd be using would have been in place for that entire CD. But you know, again, it's a fuzzy thing. I don't know what to tell you, folks, except that I am absolutely disgusted with the whole situation. My feeling is the iTunes Match database is not fully optimized. Are you saying, Gene, that you're unmatched? I am 10 to 20% unmatched. <laughs> My matches are lacking. I might just take a match and burn up the whole thing. I'm wondering whether I should do that. And I have to admit, you know, for reasons... Uh, sort of unrelated reasons I have have put off signing up for iTunes Match because I wanted to be able to uh, you know follow the process with someone else if need be and all that. So at this point, I can merely say that I match less. So. Well, match less rather than match more. <laughs> you know, I think that's the problem. Let's just you know we need to match ourselves, or light a match or give it up. Now, seriously speaking, here I expect the database. At iTunes Match is a pretty complicated affair. Yes. Very difficult this to is... operate. Yes. And therefore, it's probably going to take a while before Apple sorts it out. There is a feature, of course, on iTunes in the store menu called Update iTunes Match. And I expect that at some point in time, if they fix the database, this will allow everything to self-correct. Yeah, and and hopefully, you know, I mean, with all of these kinds of things, you're absolutely right. This is a whole lot harder behind the scenes than you could possibly imagine, especially because not only is it a hard logical problem, but it has to scale across millions of users. So, you know, at that point, you're not just doing sort of simple, I don't even want to say simple, you're not doing just sort of database comparisons. You're doing database comparisons that have to scale across massively parallel databases. And so at a high level, it's relatively easy to explain what iTunes Match does. At a low level, it must be insanely complicated. And so I'm not really surprised they're having these kinds of troubles. Um, hopefully they, they will have done a, you know, have created a situation where you know, that they will be able to continue to improve how well it matches as you go. Um, as they improve their algorithms and as their database gets more tracks, I mean, if nothing else, new songs will be coming out. They need to be able to handle those as they come out, too. Well, I only hope that these things will be sorted out. Maybe they assume that people will be inclined to put up with a few odds and ends and eccentricities. But Adam Inks is not eccentric, or maybe he is. <laughs> no, you have to be rich to be eccentric. Otherwise, you just you, oh, okay, yes. Yeah, otherwise, you're just plain nuts like I am. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! of the Rockaways. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, 
The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack of the Rockoids, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Hey everybody, Jason Lewis here once again. These are hard times for investors. If you're like me, you just don't know where to put your money because there's a downside to every possible scenario. Now look, every portfolio needs a hedge for inflation. Gold has been the classic. I want to tell you, I want to be honest with you, commodities fluctuate. So you could lose money. Gold goes up and down. But every stable portfolio usually has an inflation hedge and gold is, well, the gold standard. Washington is not going to get us out of this recovery. So you've got to protect yourself. Give it some thought. And if you're interested in converting your IRA to gold or would like to actually have it in your possession, call Midas Resources today at 1-800-686-2237. The U.S. dollar was once backed by gold, but it's lost a lot of its value since then. Call Midas Resources today, 1-800-686-2237 for gold. That's 1-800-686-2237 and tell them Jason Lewis sent you. UtopiaSilver.com believes, as the Declaration of Independence states, that our rights come from God, not from government. The only lawful purpose of any government is to protect and secure the rights of the people, and no man or government has the authority to take what has been given to us by God. Among these rights are life, liberty, property, and the pursuit of happiness. And America's government has ceased to be the protector of liberty and of the people's God-given rights. But we, the people, can return America to greatness if we are willing to stand up and reassert our stolen rights. We ask that you join Utopia Silver in changing America's course in history. To save on health care and improve your health, call Utopia Silver at 888-213-4338. For a limited time, new customers will receive 50% off all colloidal silver and colloidal gold supplements. Visit us today at utopiasilver.com. That's U-T-O-P-I-A Silver, utopiasilver.com. Or call 888-213-4338. That's 888-213-4338. Local Army Navy surplus stores are hard to find these days, but not military issue supplies. They're right here online at MainMilitary.com. That's right, just like the state, M-A-I-N-E, Military.com. We have everything for true, total preparedness. MainMilitary.com is not a typical website. It has much more than your old surplus store. Quality military-issue survival gear like canteens, mess kits, utensils, gas masks, filters, and chemical suits, magnesium fire-starting tools, strike anywhere, waterproof, and storm matches, first aid kits, splints, tourniquets, parachute 550 cord, military manuals, sandbags by the bale, and a huge Molly assortment of vests and pouches for every need. Call 207-989-6783, 207-989-6783, or visit MainMilitary.com. That's M-A-I-N-E, Military.com, the main name in military supply. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, just send it to news at technightall.com. That's news at technightall.com. And if you want to catch up on past episodes, we have hundreds of shows for you to download direct from technightall.com slash radio. That's technightall.com slash radio. Or check us out at iTunes. With Adam Inks to Tidbits Magazine... 
I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. And we focus on the early growing pains, teething pains for iTunes Match and my problems, which may not be resolved for another 90 days. We'll have to see. Let's move to another story here. Now, of course, you have Take Control books. They are available as e-books from Amazon. Therefore, you acquire Kindles from time to time. You just acquired a Kindle Fire. Had much of a chance to play with it yet? I, I haven't had much of a chance. It, it, it arrived literally you know, late yesterday afternoon, and uh, we've had the 12-year-old coughing at us for nine days, so it wasn't, it wasn't a great day to uh, you know, jump into playing with a new device. But you know, I've, I have read some of the early reviews from people who got ones ahead of time. I'm looking forward to, to playing with it. And I think that it, one of the things that's going to be really interesting about the Kindle Fire is that whereas previous Kindles made no bones about being anything other than ebook readers, they were not attempting to be iPad competitors in any way, shape, or form. The Kindle Fire, although I would say that Amazon is for the most part still not setting it up as a as a as an iPad competitor, it's more obviously in that range. So, you know, previously Kindles were e-ink devices, so they had these really slow to refresh screens, you know, like a second to refresh, which you really notice, as opposed to, you know, a color touchscreen interface, which is what the what the Kindle Fire has. Kindle Fire is an Android-based tablet, although it's a completely customized version of Android such that you don't see all the normal Android stuff at Amazon has kind of taken over the interface entirely. You know, so it's going to be interesting to see how people interact with it. The big difference about the Kindle Fire is that it's 200 bucks, whereas, you know, your lowest-end iPad is 500 bucks. I mean, for that difference, you get something which is certainly not going to be as good in many, many ways and doesn't have as large a screen. The Kindle Fire is a, 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 a seven-inch screen, I guess, um, diagonal. So it's a very different device, but what will people perceive it as? People who don't know that it's not as good as an iPad um, and, that it's, and, and that Amazon's really saying only that it's for consuming books and media and game, you know, books and movies and games. I don't know whether or not the world at large will believe that this is supposed to be sort of like an iPad, but not really. Well, the thing I've read is so far, and you've had only a brief amount of face time with it, is that the interface can be sluggish with viewing yeah. multimedia, things like that, just normal functions. It's kind of an unfinished operating system. Yeah, one of the, one of the things that I think Apple doesn't really get quite as much credit for as they should with the iPad and with iOS in general is how much effort they've put into making it snappy that there's a whole lot of, of optimization that goes into making an operating system react quickly. Because if you just benchmark something, sluggishness is actually a little bit hard to pull out. That, you know, if it takes a quarter of a second longer to scroll, your eyes notice that. It feels wrong. That it, it doesn't, the sense of direct manipulation goes away. Um, but that's something in a benchmark doesn't feel like it's a problem. And so, you know, I've, I've heard criticisms of Android devices in general along those lines. And, and yes, the, the Kindle Fire has very much gotten, in the initial reviews, some criticism of it's just not quite there. Now, it's possible that some of that is Amazon's overlay on top of Android and that 
I, like, I don't actually know what the Kindle Fire story is with software upgrades, but it's possible they could push out a software upgrade that would you know, improve this, the, the speed of, the, of reaction because really it's all software at this point. It should have enough processing power from what I've read of the specs to, to be decently fast. This is obviously a situation where you kind of wonder what the problem is. Now, I just have to point out here, just in case you're wondering, the Kindle Fire has 8 gigabytes of memory. It's $200, and according to published reports, it costs Amazon $250 to build. But they're selling it for less money because you're doing what printer companies do and what Gillette does with their razors, which is they expect you to buy content. They make their money from the videos you stream. They make the money from the e-books you buy, and people buy a lot of e-books. But as a point of comparison, when they're available, you can get a first-generation iPad, the original iPad, 16 gigabytes with Wi-Fi, basic version for about $300 refurbished. So for $100 more, Mm. you can get yourself a real refurbished first-generation iPad. So you have to wonder. Yep. There's only one interesting tweak in how the Kindle Fire or the Kindles in general can be cheaper than an iPad that's, that, I, that we ran across um, just recently. Amazon has started this, this program whereby if you're an Amazon Prime member, so you pay them $79 a year for two-day shipping for all, all, all orders from Amazon, um, which is sort of totally independent from the Kindle and, uh, and something that we've done for quite a number of years and quite enjoy. If you're an Amazon Prime member and you own a Kindle device as opposed to just using a Kindle app on your iPad or iPhone, then you can now borrow one book per month from a list of like 5,000 books, including a whole lot of bestsellers. You know, that it's, it's, I won't say it's the New York Times bestseller list, but there's a ton of stuff on there where you think, oh, yeah, that's, you know, I've seen that book. That's, you know, that's, you know, Michael Lewis's Moneyball and uh, The Long Short and, you know, things like that. You know, books that are very, very popular right now. And so if you are the sort of person who, you know, who buys a lot of books off the New York Times bestseller list and, um, and you know, and you read about a book a month, then, you know, you could be actually saving that amount of money by having a Kindle device and an Amazon Prime account that you, you know, instead of actually buying an iPad and just using the Kindle app. So I personally think the Kindle app is just about as good an experience as an actual Kindle device, and, you know, I'm going to be really testing that with the Kindle Fire in particular. Now, I want to ask you one thing in using it. One of the reviews I read, which came from, I guess, PC World, suggesting that the text on the Kindle Fire is kind of fuzzy, not quite as clear and distinct as on an iPad. Of course, Apple gets typed. Now, we understand the e-ink version, the traditional Kindle, it's beautifully sharp, but it's black and white. Yes, and slow to refresh. Okay. I find the slow to refresh more troublesome than everything else. Okay, so the key (laughs) is here. You have not, I gather, had a chance to see if it's quick to refresh on the Kindle Fire. Oh, I... I, I haven't I haven't seen that, but, but honestly, it is. It's that's not a problem. I mean, e-ink is a totally different technology. Um, it and e-ink basically has to redraw the entire page at a time. And so, when you 
um, when you flip pages, it actually has to look at you know kind of render what those you know the, what dots need to be showing on the next page, blank them all out, and then reset them all. And and it's just because of the particular way that e-ink works, um, it is not in any way acceptable for motion. Okay, let's move this. And we have to do a little Kindle. moving here. We have Adam Inks of Tidbits. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. You expect professional service from your doctor, your accountant, and even the girl who takes your morning coffee order. Why not from your domain registrar, too? Namecheap.com provides stellar service with no sneaky upselling. We offer more features and security options for your website than there are ways to order a latte. And new domains come with WhoisGuard to protect your personal info. At Namecheap.com, you can get your domain for as low as $2.99. Now is a great time to get to know Namecheap.com. Hi, this is Alex Jones. This holiday season, more than half of our nation is in need of help due to the shattered economy. So now is the time to express the holiday spirit more than ever. Consider helping those you love with the most important gift, a supply of delicious, easy to fix, and very storable foods from eFoodsDirect.com. Their holiday gift and family pack start at $99 for a 16-day supply, while their five-week supply of quick and easy-to-fix meals includes a personal backpack in case of a grab-and-go emergency. Order their combo gift pack, and you'll save hundreds, plus get free shipping on your entire order. Call eFoods today at 800-409-5633 or visit them online at eFoodsDirect.com forward slash Alex to find the special. That's 800-409-5633 or eFoodsDirect.com forward slash Alex. You can bet your life on eFoodsDirect. Fight back this cold and flu season with the world's best garlic extract, Ali C. Why Ali C? Because it helps your body fight viruses, bacteria, and fungi. Ali C has been scientifically proven in double-blind studies using low doses to greatly reduce the number, severity, and duration of common colds. Ali C contains 300 milligrams of stabilized allicin, the active ingredient in crushed garlic. Studies show Ali C is effective against MRSA, bacterial, fungal, and viral infections. One tablet of Ali C has the equivalent of 40 cloves of garlic. Ali C supports your body's resistance to all types of conditions and can help lower high blood pressure and high cholesterol. So boost your body's resistance to infection with nature's best garlic extract, Ali C. For more information and to order Ali C, call 877-888-7126 or go to garlichealthproducts.com. That's 1-877-888-7126 or go to garlichealthproducts.com for your Ali C today. What happened, man? You used to be energetic, happy, and wow, did the ladies love you. Now, you fall asleep on the couch, irritable, and out of shape. Don't be that guy. 
Call now for a risk-free trial of Ageless Male, a natural supplement shown to raise testosterone by 50% and maintain healthy, normal levels. No injections, no appointments. With healthy testosterone levels, you can feel that energy again, that great outlook again, and yes, even a healthy sex drive. Right now, you can try Ageless Male risk-free. There's nothing to lose, guys. If you're a man who's noticed changes in your body, your mood, your sex life, call now for a risk-free trial of Ageless Male. Be the guy you used to be. Just call 1-888-246-0623. Don't wait another day. Just call 1-888-246-0623. Again, 1-888-246-0623. What's going to happen next? You never know when you're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg. Moving along with Adam Inks of Tidbits Magazine and Take Control Books. I'm Gene Steinberger in the Tech Night Owl Live. He was talking about the technology of e-ink and why I guess it is not practical for a more general-purpose tablet. Now, the other issue, of course, is whether a 7-inch tablet makes it, regardless of price. That's the argument Steve Jobs made. You know, they tried 7-inch in, you know, their test labs or something. It doesn't work. You need 9.7 or 10 inches. Yeah, I'm not sure I buy that. (laughs) I, I mean, put it that way. Put it this way. At that argument... How could you possibly get away with an iPhone? Seven inch is simply between the iPhone and the iPad, and whether or not you know one works and the other doesn't it seems to me to be not something you can actually say to people. Um, I strongly suspect that Apple wished to differentiate a little bit more um, between their devices because they had the small iPhone for the pocketable version whereas if you're going to you know Amazon I mean they they came out with you know essentially the, the sort of the seven inch device originally and then um, they, they came out with a Kindle DX for a larger one I don't quite have a sense it's very difficult to understand what Amazon thinks is happening with their products the Kindle DX is still available but the Kindle fire is back down at that Kindle original Kindle size so we don't know how many Kindles have been sold. Amazon certainly uh, will make grandiose claims about how they're now selling more copies of bestsellers in Kindle format than in paper format and stuff like that. But it's never anything where you can say, yeah, we sold 20 million of them. That Apple just lays it out. Amazon never does that. So that said, they sold enough of the clearly enough of the, the you know those roughly seven inch size Kindles that I don't see a real problem with that form factor. People didn't see it and say that's just unacceptable. Well, of course, so, but people were just reading books on it. I mean, you know, I've read books on my iPhone. You know, I've, I've and I use my iPhone for all sorts of things. They were an even much smaller screen is not a problem. So. I just fail to see the argument. I mean, I think Steve Jobs was was quoted as saying something like, you know, people would need, you know, fingers the size of pencils or something. And that's just just not right. I mean, you know, again, you use a much smaller device with no problems. And so I just don't see it as an issue. Uh, People may not like that size, but I don't see any reason why it won't work. Well, I guess the proof is in the pudding. 
And and of course, we'll never know because it's Amazon. So and Amazon's not going to tell us. You know, see, Apple will tell you how many right. iPads they sold. You're not going to know from Amazon how many of those things they sold. Very frustrating. Indeed. Frustrating beyond belief. <laughs> we'll just kind of leave it there. And in the meantime, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I don't. I, what I guess I say is, I don't. I don't know. It's frustrating because Apple has trained us that they're going to say how many units they've sold. I find it very odd that, in comparison, Amazon doesn't do this. But in retrospect, I don't know if I don't know if you know more more generally if companies do this. I mean, I've certainly heard you know things like saying you know this is the the fastest selling device since the VCR or whatnot. But I don't know where the if those numbers actually come from the company or if they're developed by analysts who are making estimates. Which people have certainly made estimates about Amazon, but there's no way of knowing whether or not they're in the slightest bit accurate. Well, I guess we'll have to see. The key is here if the performance issues make for a usability problem if people become frustrated because trying to use it beyond basic books and videos doesn't serve their needs that might be an issue but you know we do know for example with some of these other tablet computers there were lots of returns because people were downright disappointed yes and it is true with the with a lot of the ta- the, the initial android tablets they were just lousy it, it seemed to be one of those things where companies felt they could get something out that that fit the uh, the general spec sheet. You know that oh, it had it had a ten-inch screen, it had a home button, it could, it ran Android, it, you know, it was a touch screen. You know, all these kinds of things they could kind of get the check the check marks, and the fact that it was you know a pretty lousy user experience after all that didn't seem to come into play. <laughs> so you know, so I think that. You know what we will see. You know with the fire is that Amazon is really not promoting it as an overall tablet. They are promoting it as a Kindle that can also play video and play some and play some games and things like that. So it's you know again if the if the if the customer's expectations are set correctly, the fact that it's sluggish may not be a big deal. Or you may say, yeah, it's it's a it's more sluggish than an iPad, but but I only paid two hundred bucks, you know, and I can get this free these free books, you know, the, I can get these free you know one free book a month because I'm also an Amazon Prime member, you know. There's a lot of ways of justifying it, and I have not heard for the most part that people have been unhappy with Kindles. You know, when they buy a Kindle, they usually like it, um, and and so, you know. That says to me that the you know even the like the screen refresh on the e-ink devices, which drives me up the wall, um, isn't a killer problem for the for the Kindles. You know, the Amazon has continued to address that by dropping the price lower and lower and lower. I mean, you can get a I think that the the cheapest Kindle now is something like eighty bucks if you're willing to have ads associated with it. So what about those ads? Are they really offensive or what? From yeah, I don't have one of those devices. Um, I have other Kindles, so I haven't seen them. But certainly, from what I've from what I've heard, they appear on the lock screen, um, and and that you know that's the primary place you see them. So it's not like there's ads sprinkled into the books you're reading or something like that. And so you know, it's I forget the exact uh, price differential. It's something like you know forty or fifty dollars. That you're saving, so presumably Amazon has figured out that they can sell forty or fifty dollars worth of advertising to you over your over the lifespan of the device, and uh, and thus allow you know pass that savings on to you. 
All right. Well, that's where it goes. The question is, is this to be considered by the public as competition for an iPad, an alternative? I can't spend $3.99 for an iPad or $2.99 for the refurb if I can find one, so therefore I will buy this instead. Is that what it's about? We're going to have to see exactly what Amazon does in that regard because the although this is an Android tablet, it does not uh, hook into the Android marketplace. And so... And, and apps are going to be specifically written for the Kindle Fire. They've already, I don't know, they, they have some some number already done, including the all-important Angry Birds. So for, I would say for whether or not people see it as a tablet will be a little bit dependent on how heavily Amazon evangelizes developers to you know do the necessary little tweaks to get their stuff their apps to work not just on Android but on on the Kindle Fire's Android and then get them into the Amazon App Store and so cuz it what it really feels to me is though what sets the what makes a tablet these days is the apps that that's much more so than a computer where you might say, oh, as long as you have these you know, these five programs for your computer, you're totally functional. With a tablet, what people are doing is so varied. You, know, you want to play games, you want to make music, you want to draw pictures, you want to all these kinds of things. And there's so many choices, particularly, again, for the iPhone not, or for the iPad, that you... I would say that every iPad probably looks a lot more different from every other iPad than is true for computers. And so if the Kindle Fire ends up being a situation where there's really only, you know, 50 or 100 apps that are available for it, and even if they're the big ones, it may seem less like a tablet and more like this kind of glorified ebook reader. <laughs> Honestly, it's an ebook reader that can also check the weather and play Angry Birds. Or maybe has a mediocre uh, web browser and maybe a mediocre email client. Now, in terms of the web browser, this is a more complicated discussion because they're using supposedly Amazon servers as an intermediary to yeah. cache the content. I'm going to ask you about that in a moment. We have Adam Inkst at Tidbits. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. <laughs> The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack Attack of the Rockoids. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans the galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack, attack of the Rockoids, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition.
Introducing a Diabetes Breakthrough, an easy, natural, organic way to bring relief to diabetics. Introducing MDS Forte, a concentrated super strength extract formulated for those who are looking for relief. What can MDS Forte do for you? MDS Forte reduces glucose levels safely and effectively, reduces cholesterol and triglyceride levels, increases HDL or good cholesterol while reducing LDL or bad cholesterol. MDS Forte reduces A1C, improves eyesight and circulation to the limbs, and helps with weight loss. Is non-toxic, caffeine-free, 100% natural, 100% organic, and comes with a 100% money back guarantee waiting for the side effects disclaimers with mds forte there are none order a 25-day treatment of mds forte by calling 213-405-5355 213-405-5355 or visit bestbloodsupport.com that's bestbloodsupport.com for mds forte a diabetes breakthrough Survival of the fittest. In any and all situations, survival is your number one priority. That requires being tough and thinking smart. And the folks at Freeze Dry Guy are going to help you do just that. They have the long-range patrol ration entrees, what they call the Brick Pack. When you're in survival mode, it is absolutely the best item for your survival pack or bug out bag. You can go farther, faster, and carry more food with the LRP cold weather ration entrees. Not only do these long-lasting, durable entrees help sustain you or your family through the harshest environment or situation, they are by far the most delicious of their kind. No contest. With a variety of tasty entrees, you can't beat the LRP Brick Packs. Let Freeze Dry Guy help you in your survival situations. Go to freezedryguy.com. That's freezedryguy.com. Or call 866-404-3663. That's 866-404-FOOD. We all know that Berkey Water Purification Systems are the most trusted name in water filtration. As an authorized Berkey dealer for over six years and serving thousands of satisfied customers, the Berkey Guy offers amazing specials for Berkey Water Filtration Systems. The Berkey Light Systems include a set of self-sterilizing and recleanable black purification elements that purify water by removing chlorine, pathogenic bacteria, cysts and parasites to non-detectable levels and remove harmful chemicals such as herbicides and pesticides. Order the Berkey Light System system today complete with two black berkey elements for only 231 dollars and the berkey guy will ship your order free of charge with the purchase of a berkey light the berkey guy is also offering a set of fluoride and arsenic filters for only 39.99 that's over 30 percent off the retail price call the berkey guy at 1-877-886-3653 that's 1-877-886-3653 or order online at goberkey.com that's goberkey.com today You never know what's going to happen next while listening to the Tech Night Isle, live with Gene Steinberg. With Adam Inks some Tidbits, I'm Gene Steinberger in the Tech Night Isle Live. We're talking about the Kindle Fire and about the features. Now, it's interesting to me, supposedly this thing, and I know Opera does it too, where they have an intermediary cache server to speed up web access. AOL was doing that 15 years ago. With the browser, right? Yeah, it's it's not a new technique. I think it's one of those situations where putting something in between the remote web server and your web browser is a way of speeding. It, it can sometimes speed up access if the local web browser is or the or the local web connection is slow. 
because the the intermediary can repackage the page in a way that makes it either appear to load faster or actually does appear does load faster because it's making fewer connections it's you know it's it's you know eliminating the need to wait for secondary servers a lot of a lot of web pages now come from multiple web servers and so sort of need to be dealt with in separate streams much was made of this at the at the Kindle Fire introduction. The, the the first couple of reviews I've read, I haven't had a chance to do comparison testing myself, but the first couple of reviews I've read said maybe it's faster than it would be otherwise, but it's still not as fast as the iPad. So, you know, it may just be something that Amazon had to do to make it usable at all. And I don't know, again, why that would be. You know, maybe there's some architectural problem deep with inside the Kindle Fire that Amazon had to, had to put up with to keep the costs down. And therefore, they ended up with slow, slow web, a slow web browser. Now, one of the things they do, of course, to speed up access is to compress the artwork, which can result in subpar web graphics. Is that what they're still doing? Usually when, when you compress files uh, from a web server, you do so in a lossless fashion and then re-expand them. It is possible, however, that they are re-optimizing the graphics for the size of the Kindle screen. You know, they're saying, look, there's no reason to give you, if, you know, for some reason you've loaded a, a, a five megabyte photograph. There's no reason to give you the full five megabyte photograph because the screen is too small to possibly display that any better than if we downsize it to a one megabyte photograph and and change change the dimensions appropriately. So I don't know if they're doing that, but that would make some sense. Apple actually, you may um, may remember, did that kind of thing with iPhoto. That when iPhoto, when you're uploading to Mobile Me as to make a Mobile Me gallery, it would automatically optimize the photos to say, look, you're, you're viewing these things in a web browser, you know, you're not trying to print them, we don't need to give you full quality, and, and we can thus save a whole lot of bandwidth for everyone and some storage space for Apple. So that kind of optimization does make sense, and I wouldn't be surprised if they're doing it. Talk about, as they say, fuzzy logic. <laughs> we have to decide how to make the pictures fuzzier. Now, the other question I have about this Kindle Fire, they're using Android 2.3. Uh, yes. Okay. And heavily modifying it. We know that. The problem is that supposedly all Android versions that before 3.0 were never optimized for larger screen tablet use. So what's Amazon doing here? A, a good question, and we don't know. Uh, that Yes, the, the whole Android version issue is, is a fairly significant one. Um, Guy actually did a, this was more for smartphones rather than for tablets, but he did a, a, a chart showing just sort of how, you know, what version of uh, Android a phone shipped with, how many upgrades it was able to get, you know, that, and all that kind of stuff. It, and, for, and it was a mess. I mean, it was just a royal, royal mess on the Android side. And I guess what I would say is that, you know, we're not really seeing OS upgrades for Android being done in anywhere near the coherent fashion that Apple is doing. Apple basically says, you know, everyone can upgrade to the latest operating system except for some of our oldest devices which just don't have enough processor power, enough RAM, whatever it is. And then for every new version of the OS, they drop a few more devices off the back end. 
so you can tell I mean, you have some idea of what's going to go on with Android. From what I can tell, it's just a crapshoot. I mean, you really have no idea whether the manufacturer of your device will bring you up to date with the latest Android version of Android or not ever. You, you just don't know. And maybe they and maybe they'll bring you you know do minor updates to in the version you're in. If you got two two point you'll get up to two point three, but you'll not get to three point and you just have no way of knowing. And it's I find that you know sort of as someone who tries to keep abreast of things, utterly befuddling. That it's just it's just really hard to imagine what you should be doing or what could be happening. One of the other problems is of course malware. Now I read a report the other day saying that malware had surged four or five hundred percent on the Android operating system. Now okay, that's fine. But now Google pushes an update to fix a malware vulnerability. But you can't get the update. You're stuck. Yeah. I think that there's going to be the way the way I th- what I think basically happened is that Android was adopted by phone manufacturers, by you know, by handset manufacturers. And they do not come at this from a computer standpoint, from that entire mindset. They come at it from a handset mindset. And, and, and in the handset world, you release one, and maybe there's some kind of minor firmware upgrade or whatnot because you need to make it compatible with some new technology that you've rolled out on all your cell towers or, or whatnot. But, or, you know, or there's some horrible bug that causes it to die and the battery gets low. Who knows? But that's it. That that phone is fixed in time and done. And if people want a, an upgrade, they'll get a new phone. And that seems to be really the mentality that has taken over in the Android world, whereas, again, Apple, the mentality is very much it's a computer. It should be upgraded with new software and new features to the point that it, you know, that the hardware supports. And at some point, you, you know, you can't go all the way back. At some point, you have to drop things off the off the end. But that's the computer mentality. And I find it, I find it very frustrating that that if you come into this with a computer mentality and end up using Android, you can be totally left at sea. You know, malware, probably not a huge deal because, you know, people, I mean, I think it's, you know, if I, if I were, if I were a malware author, I would probably not be focusing on vulnerabilities that had been fixed in the latest version, even if there might be some older ones available, just because your numbers aren't as high. I mean, with malware, you want to go for the, you know, the maximum number. I'd be going for new vulnerabilities that everyone's susceptible to. So, you know, maybe it's a big deal, maybe it isn't, but I just I find the whole handset mentality of throw this one out and get a new one to be, well, frankly, just a little offensive, um, just from the, the resource standpoint, if nothing else. Well, we're going to see how that works out, because I worry about it. I think it's one of the reasons why I won't recommend Android products to people who aren't power users. There are malware protection products, though, for Android, right? I assume so. I haven't looked into it to that oh, okay. level, so I don't. So we assume know. it's kind of like Windows back in the 1990s. Mm, no, I, I don't think that's fair because Windows back in the 1990s was 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 targeted beyond belief, um, and you know, 
I mean, versions of Windows before XP, you know, that was back when the, was it the SANS, uh, um, they would, they, they, the internet security site would put uh, an unprotected, you know, just a, a plain vanilla PC running Windows on the internet, and it would be infected within 15 minutes. That just living on the internet would would get a PC infected, and so I do. I really don't think that's a you know, sort of a fair situation. I haven't heard significant issues with uh, with Android being, you know, targeted and actual problems occurring. And I and I do think there's also something else to keep in mind here, which is that what the bad guys want now is they want. Um, they want access. Um, they want identity. They want credit cards. They want stuff they can use or steal or sell. And it's entirely possible that tablets don't yet have enough of that kind of data on them to be really worth targeting in a big way. I'll tell you what, we'll have more to say. With Adam Ingst of Tidbits and Take Control Books in our next segment, we have one more. I'm also going to ask him about Online children's privacy has a bit of an article about that. Yes, because he, of course, is the father of a preteen or a teenager. Twelve-year-old. Okay, at the cusp. Thirteen. At the cusp. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you own an Apple iPhone and love to listen to your favorite programs on GCN, I've got good news for you. I'm proud to announce that GCN has a brand new iPhone app available for our dedicated listeners at GCNlive.com. Listen to your favorite hard-hitting GCN programs live or on demand right on your iPhone. And the best part? The GCN iPhone app can be yours absolutely free. Download the iPhone app today by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit, and carting to a private bank, having it led back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Ted Anderson, I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Tech Night All Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. We have Adam Inks of Tidbits and Take Control Books. I'm Gene Steinberger in the Tech Night Out Live. Let's talk about family values. Children, of course, my son is 25. We think of him as a child. He'll be 26 in February. You have the child who is getting almost into the teenage years. Yes, uh, yes. Justin is, is 12 and will turn 13 in January, which is an interesting age break. That Something which just has been coming up just this year is that his school has started to use technology more heavily, which we are highly in favor of. And for the most part, they're, they're using real tools, Google Docs, Gmail, Blogspot, that kind of stuff. And this has required him to sign up for accounts. That's where the problem starts because most general purpose websites, 
And this includes everything from Google, Facebook, everything from Apple, and you know, not so much Apple as a website, but Apple with iCloud, Apple with iTunes Store, all of that. All of those say you must be over 13 or older to sign up. And the reason why they say this is because of a 1998 law called the Child's Online Privacy Protection Act, or COPPA. COPPA was designed to basically prevent companies from preying on underage children, getting them to share information that they probably shouldn't and might not be sufficiently aware of what's going on to know that they shouldn't. But when, the, when, when Congress wrote this law, they, they didn't leave a, an appropriate loophole for parental overrides. So they do, have, they do have a parental override where you, know, you as the parent can say, I want my child to have an account even though they're only 10. But the way that they phrase it in the law is you need something called verifiable parental consent. The mechanisms for getting verifiable parental consent are things like physical mail or a fax that's signed or you have to have a credit card transaction for real money associated with it because that way, you know, again, 12-year-old isn't going to have a credit card. What happened was is companies that are really focused on children, you know, the Webkinds and Webkins and all of those sorts of, uh, you know, Disney and all those kinds of uh, websites, they're happy to jump through the hoops because that's their market. However, the companies that are focused on adults, Google, Facebook, all of those, Apple included, they say basically, this isn't worth our time. We don't really want 10-year-olds in our service. You know, we don't care if they're using it from the, from, the, from the usage standpoint, but we're not going to jump through these hoops. And so they get around the problem and avoid, avoid violating this law by just banning 13-year-olds. So if a 13-year-old or 12-year-old says they're 13, they can qualify. How do you prove it? <laughs> well, that's the problem. So basically, you know, your kid comes to you and says, I need to sign up for this, this account at school. And you say, okay, that's nice, little Johnny. Let's go, let's, go, let's go sign up for that. And you get to the thing, and it says you have to be 13. Well, this put the, puts the parent in a pretty, pretty awkward position because the parent then basically say, has to say, okay, the only way you can do this is if you lie on the form. You know, in the, in the scheme of things, lying on an online, lying about your age in an online sign-up form is not a really big lie, but it's a bad precedent and not something that parents are really all that happy about doing. Plus, you have a situation where you could just lie and say you're 13, but as long as you're lying, maybe you'll lie and say you're 19. And so if the parent is, is actually involved in the sign-up, at least the parent knows what's going on. But let's just say the kid wants to sign up for Facebook without telling the parent. Nothing prevents them from doing that. Nothing prevents them from lying. And again, nothing prevents them from putting in an older age, at which point they are you know, being identified as someone who is older than they are, which you know, is not necessarily a good situation in a lot of sites on the Internet. That you don't want, you know, a, you know, a ten-year-old to be, you know, mistaken for a seventeen-year-old or an eighteen-year-old. There's just a bunch of kind of troubling things with this. And then after I 
wrote an article about this on Tidbits because there was a there was a study that came out, you know, talking about the level to which parents were aware, you know, aware of this, and you know, many parents didn't realize it was a requirement. They thought it was just a recommendation, sort of like PG thirteen. But one of the things that's come out subsequently is that the Department of Justice has actually been convicting people of lying, you know, breaking terms of service, essentially lying on websites about their age or identity or something, and using that to convict them um, of criminal charges. And this was this came up with the, the woman who used a fake MySpace account to harass a, a, a 13-year-old girl who ended up committing suicide. And so, you know, obviously that's a horrible situation. This person should go to prison for, you know, that kind of behavior. But to tie it to the fact that she lied about her identity is really, really chilling. That suddenly the fact that she broke the terms of service, a standard contract with MySpace, to turn that into something that is, that's a criminal behavior is really, really kind of freaky. But, of course, if you're caught, what can happen? What can they do? Well, if you have – and we've seen this, actually. People have run into this because in the past – Gmail, Google, for instance, didn't ask for your age. And so, you know, in fact, you know, people have, lots of kids have email addresses their parents set up for them when they were way too young and that they started using and well, not a problem. Then say the kid goes to another Google site that requires they sign up and does ask for their age now, and they say that they're you know, under 13. What Google does is it says, in essence, oh, Dear, we've discovered that you're in violation of COPPA, in essence. You're under 13. We're going to delete your account. This is kind of a big deal. I mean, as I, Tristan is, is you know, 12,000 words into his NaNoWriMo novel for his English class in Google Docs. If Google were to delete his account, and obviously we're making separate backups, but if Google were to delete his account, that would be a huge problem. I mean, real work is really being done in these sites now. You know, there are ways of getting the parents to sort of take over the account and things like that, so it's not always just a, boom, we've discovered you're under 13, everything's deleted, although they actually do lock you out instantly. There are, you know, actual consequences to this. Plus, you can end up in a situation where birth date is often required for identity purposes, you know, like you lose a password or, you know, you're locked out for some reason. And so if you've lied about your birth date and you don't remember what it is, you might not be able to use that as a security answer to a security question you know, at some point in the future. One one woman I talked to who is an adult now and um, said that, you know, she had to lie about this, uh, her age for a long time. And, you know, she said she was born in, you know, 1984 or something for every site, even when it wasn't a problem, because she knew if she started putting in different birth dates, she'd never remember which one went with which. Basically, they have to remember the lie. Yeah. And it's, it's you know, I just... <sighs> It's one of those things where it's unintended consequences, and it's, it's unintended consequences in part because in 1998, I don't think people had the sense that children were going to be, end up using the Internet in nearly the level, at nearly the level they do now. And, and certainly, I can't imagine in 1998, people were thinking, wow, it's going to be required for school. You know, this stuff isn't. It's not absolutely required, you know, that, yes, there are other ways of turning in homework and, and, and things like that. It's not that it's the only way to do stuff. But it is the where things are going, and this law is broken right now uh, in ways that could cause all sorts of trouble. I mean, you know, that not that, you know, if you help your kid lie about their age, 
technically that's a breach of contract, that could be, you know, criminal, you know, that could be a criminal uh, offense if this, you know, this sort of uh, approach of uh, uh, charging people in crimes uh, for crimes committed, you know, hinges upon following the terms I'll of service. I'll tell you what, these are the laws. So, I don't know. I just, these are the laws of unintended consequences, right? Precisely. And you just never know where they're going to go unless you have some way of revisiting them regularly and saying, hey, this doesn't make sense anymore. How are we going to change it? And that's what needs to be done. Unfortunately, that never happens when it comes to government laws. Tell our listeners where they can find more (laughs) stuff from Adam Inkst. Well, we're publishing tons and tons of stuff about uh, the Mac and iPhone and iPad at tidbits.com every day. And uh, we have numerous books about similar topics in much, much greater detail, including Take Control of iCloud, which is solving a whole bunch of problems for people dealing with iCloud right now, and uh, many more books on the way at TakeControlBooks.com. Adam Inks, thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Out Live. Anytime. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. You expect professional service from your doctor, your accountant, and even the girl who takes your morning coffee order. Why not from your domain registrar, too? Namecheap.com provides stellar service with no sneaky upselling. We offer more features and security options for your website than there are ways to order a latte. And new domains come with a WhoisGuard to protect your personal info. At Namecheap.com, you can get your domain for as low as $2.99. Now is a great time to get to know Namecheap.com. Jim Newcomer from Midas Resources, November 18th, 2011. Gold opened this morning at 1733.40. A one-ounce gold coin can be purchased for 1776.23, 888.11 for a half ounce, and 444.06 for a quarter ounce. That's 1776.23, 888.11, and 444.06. Gold isn't for you? Hi, I'm Ted Anderson, and I get it. You wouldn't buy gold if you believed the government is doing a great job. The Fed will stop handing out trillions like bailout candy, but that's not what's happening. If all looks rosy, then now is not the time to buy gold. For the realists, there have never been more sobering reasons to diversify. Since 2001, the U.S. dollar index has tanked while gold has risen 1,600%. Savvy investors are adding gold to their portfolios. Find out what they know. Call us and I'll send you 10 reasons why gold will do very well. Free. Call 800-686-2237. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Solar power. Solar power. Hand crank power. Hand crank power. Radio power. Radio power. The goods you want, the good deals you need to power up your survival are at 21stCenturyGoods.com. In our solar department, you'll find solar generator kits, solar lanterns, flashlights, radios, and solar cell phone and laptop chargers. 21stCenturyGoods.com is your hand crank headquarters for everything from generators to flashlights to emergency, weather, and shortwave radios by Grundig and Cato. Big brand names and big deals. Like this. Get a free solar flashlight with every order over $75. But hurry, offer ends soon. Go to 21stCenturyGoods.com. Spelled the number 
to the number one stcenturygoods.com. That's 21stCenturyGoods.com or call 866-999-8422. 21stCenturyGoods.com. Power up your survival. Your survival. You can't argue with success, and many people have found great success in fighting back colds and flu viruses with Ali C, the world's best garlic extract. So now, it's time to get even more success with the other great quality natural products from Affinity Health Products, like C-Energy Liquid Vitamins, Lose and Snooze, and the One Day Diet, or Human Growth Hormone Support, Menopause Specialist for Women, and Joint Specialist. See these and many other quality Affinity Health products for men and women online at AffinityHealthProducts.com. That's A-F-F-I-N-I-T-Y HealthProducts.com. Or call in your orders at 877-888-7126. That's 1-877-888-7126. Trust your health to the makers of Alley C, the world's best garlic extract. Affinity Health Products, the finest and most innovative natural health products available. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, just send it to news at technightall.com. That's news at technightall.com. And if you want to catch up on past episodes, we have hundreds of shows for you to download direct from technightall.com slash radio. That's technightall.com slash radio. Or check us out at iTunes. Okay, the big battle this season will be between the iPad and the Amazon Kindle Fire. What about the Nook? There's a new Nook. There's the Kindle Fire. Sasha Segan of PCMag.com has had a look at both. Let's focus on each product, and then we'll go into conclusions. Okay, so you review the Kindle Fire. Tell us about the product, first of all, before we look into your observations. I'm more excited about this tablet than any other tablet I've reviewed this year, and I have been looking at dozens of tablets over the past several months because the Kindle Fire, it's a really new kind of device. It brings tablets to a new class of people, to regular people. It's so easy to use, and it's so easy to buy things on this tablet and to consume music and video and books and to run apps that it gets over the hump of people holding a tablet and saying, what do I do with this thing now? Right, but it's living in the universe where we have the iPad. So is that meant to exist in that universe, or is this a separate universe? They're in the same universe, but they're different galaxies. I mean, the iPad is two and a half times the price of the Kindle Fire. It's considerably larger and more unwieldy than the Kindle Fire. You can't really hold it in one hand comfortably. The iPad is great, but I see the iPad as more of a replacement for a laptop. It's, it's more of a, a laptop without a keyboard. This is very much a window to content. This is much more of a consumption device. So basically here, an office who wants to give people something they can do most of what you can do on a laptop except for heavy content creation. An iPad is fine. In schools, iPads seem to work. Obviously, people have embraced the iPad, but this is a more sharply focused consumption device. Yeah, this is more for playtime. Okay, let's play with it. Tell us about the configuration. It's seven inches. Tell us about the equipment layout and the underlying guts that we may need to know. 
Okay, so what you have here is a tablet. It's all black with a soft touch back. It's got a 7-inch 1024 by 600 LCD screen. It looks very much like a shrunken down BlackBerry playbook, if you're one of the six people who's seen a BlackBerry playbook. I thought it was uh, five, minus the two people who are co-CEOs at BlackBerry. Rim. Yeah, they count as one. So there you go. <laughs> okay. So, it's running a, a TI dual-core OMAP4 1 gigahertz processor and a very, very heavily customized version of Android 2.3. It has 8 gigabytes of non-expandable storage, and about 6.5 gigabytes are free for your stuff. It's Wi-Fi only, so no 3G, no Bluetooth, no microphone, no camera, this is about uh, enjoying and consuming content. Okay, so it's tied into the Amazon ecosystem. So you want apps that comes from Amazon. You want videos there from Amazon. You want ebooks from Amazon. Is there a way to escape those confines? Yes, absolutely. If you're a little geeky, I was surprised how open Amazon leaves this tablet. You plug the tablet into a PC or a Mac. It appears, uh, it has a mass storage driver. It appears as a drive. You can dump whatever uh, music and video you want on it. In terms of apps, if you can get a hold of Android APK files, and that is relatively easy if you have an Android phone uh, because you can generate them from all the apps on your Android phone, you can dump those files onto the tablet and it'll run those apps. So it is pretty much open, but getting your own files on there isn't as seamless and as easy and as effortless as just hitting the store button that is on every darn page of this tablet. Now, the other thing is, of course, I guess there's room for a third party to develop a Mac and PC loader application so you can do all this nonsense. I think that Double Twist probably works with this tablet. I haven't tested it myself, but Double Twist works with any Android device that has mass storage. And when you plug this tablet in, it it comes up as a perfectly normal mass storage Android device. So I can't see why Double Twist wouldn't work to sync music and video. Okay, so that's one answer. Now let's take a look at the other considerations. It's a heavily modified version of Android 2.3. And I guess the big question I have to offer here is Android 2.3. Was the operating system used on some of the early Android, pure Android tablets? But Google didn't certify that for tablet use. So why does... Amazon do that? Uh, because Amazon has no need for Google here. Amazon is using Android 2.3 as a base, but Amazon has designed the UI pretty much from scratch. So Google's big argument, which is that the user interface of Android 2.3 is designed for small screens, in Amazon's view, that becomes irrelevant because Amazon totally rewrote the UI. So basically, it's irrelevant to them. It doesn't matter. Now, the other considerations here, let's look at the way it's set up in terms of usability and the layout. Now, we know what it looks like on a Windows Phone 7 device. We know what it looks like on an Android device, certainly an iOS device. We look at the screen. We see how things are laid out. How is it laid out on a Kindle Fire? Uh, your controlling metaphor here is the bookshelf. You start up the Kindle Fire, you see a master bookshelf or what appears to be a pile of the most recent items you've looked at. Uh, they could be icons of apps, they could be covers of books, they could be thumbnails of web pages. 
Along the bottom, you have four configurable favorites. And then across the top, you have the main menu all visible at once in words. And I love that. I love it when people use words rather than mysterious icons that you don't know what they mean. So across the top, you see newsstand, books, music, video, docs, apps, web. And immediately, at a glance, you know the seven things you can do with this tablet. Okay, so everything is clearly labeled. Everything is clearly labeled. You drill down into any of these levels, uh, newsstand, books, music, video, docs, apps, web. You see another, uh, another bookshelf containing the content of that kind. So you go into, say, apps, and you see a virtual bookshelf full of app icons. Now, each one of these sublevels also has a store link very prominently at the top uh, to let you buy more content through Amazon Store because that's why this thing is $200. There's been a lot of rumors that Amazon's taking a loss on every tablet so they can sell people content. So it's like Gillette razors and printers, as we've said before. Exactly. Now, if you're getting beyond the basic metaphor of ebooks and videos, you want to do email, you want to go online and browse the internet. How do those interfaces stack up? Amazon has designed its own web browser here. This is another way that they've broken free of Google. Their web browser is called Silk. It is a full desktop class web browser with Flash, and it's doing some funky server-side acceleration and optimization in the Opera Turbo style uh, to speed up web page loads. I didn't see much of the speeding up on this test unit. Uh, it seemed to be just about as fast as other comparable Android-based devices. But Amazon told me that a lot of the speed-ups are uh, crowdsourced. They're basically using the, the, the browsing histories of Kindle Fire owners to build a giant cache of pages. That so it'll get better over quickly. time. We need to do our break. We have Sasha Segan from PCMag.com. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night How Live. <laughs> Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack of the Rockoids. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack of the Rockoids, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Jason Lewis here with the holidays just around the corner. Be sure to consider the greatest gift you can give to your friends and family. 
Peace of mind. That's why I choose WiseFoodStorage.com. WiseFoodStorage.com offers delicious ready-made meals like cheesy lasagna, savory stroganoff, and pasta Alfredo that are packaged for freshness in individual metal mylar pouches and carry a 25-year shelf life. And they're ready to eat in minutes. Simply add hot water. Request a free entree sample today at WiseFoodStorage.com. And for a limited time, get free shipping and 10% off of your order. That's right, a free entree free shipping and 10% off any order. Just use promo code LEWIS, call 855-FOODWISE, that's 855-366-3947, or visit wisefoodstorage.com, that's wise, W-I-S-E, foodstorage.com. Gourmet emergency food at the best price, and the greatest gift you can give to the ones you love this holiday season. If you constantly feel run down and tired, your pH level might be low, and your body could be full of toxins. If what you drink is not at a pH level of 8 or higher, you are inviting bacteria and acid to thrive in your body. But there is something you can do. Simply add 10 drops of AlkaVision Plasma pH drops to your water to help your body rid itself of acidic waste, increase oxygen, and raise your pH balance to optimum levels. AlkaVision Plasma pH drops combine a unique formula of the most alkaline minerals in the world. Alkalizing the water you drink, ridding your body of acidic waste and toxins, and helping you regain energy and vibrant health. And studies show viruses bacteria and toxins cannot survive in an alkaline high ph environment order your bottle of alkavision plasma ph drops at alkavision.com that's a-l-k-a-vision.com or call 269-409-1776 269-409-1776 alkalize your body supercharge your health at alkavision.com today you have storable food filtered water even shelter but do you have a way to start a fire immediately now you can with InstaFire, a revolutionary, safe, simple, and versatile fire starter. InstaFire is a patented blend of volcanic rock, wood pellets, and paraffin wax that gets a fire blazing in just minutes. So just add water to your survival food and enjoy a hot meal in no time. InstaFire is self-sustaining fire and even starts right on top of snow or water or in any severe weather, even 40-mile-per-hour crosswinds. Sound incredible? It is. Check it out at InstaFire.com. A must for any preparedness kit, InstaFire easily lights with matches or flintlock lighters, is environmentally friendly stores easy with a 30-year shelf life is lightweight comes in a variety of sizes and starts at a buck 25 for a single pack or only 59.95 for a five gallon pail with free shipping go to instafire.com spelled i-n-s-t-a fire.com or call 888-482-4868 that's 888-482-4868 safe simple versatile instafire You're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next. We're talking about Kindle Fire and a little bit later, a little bit about the Nook with Sasha Segan of PCMag.com. Okay, now this is a scheme that was actually used by AOL back in the 1990s with their original embedded browser where it would have an intermediary server to cache things. The basic thing you're telling me here is that over time, as more and more people use the browser, their caching servers will become more proactive about storing different sites. Yeah, Opera does the same thing. 
Okay, so right now it doesn't seem to make an advantage over time. You hope it will. What about email? Email, it comes with a basic pop IMAP email program. You can download some other email programs, for instance, uh, Nitro Desk Touchdown for Microsoft Exchange from their app store. Okay, so you can compare this, for example, with Apple Mail. It's definitely it's definitely more basic, but it supports HTML email. It supports images. Uh, it supports attachments. I think that for your basic email experience, it's fine. Okay, so decent browser, decent email experience. Any glitches? Yeah, it's a little sluggish from time to time. Sometimes the touch buttons didn't respond. Uh, that was a little frustrating. Uh, there are one or two settings that have to be tweaked a bit, especially with it, the Wi-Fi waking up from sleep. But in general, I mean, come on, this thing is 200 bucks. Okay, so are you willing to give up certain features for 200 bucks? That's a good question because and I'm going to ask you this question before we go to the Nook. It's been getting middling reviews online. And as a matter of fact, this character called Macalope over at Macworld, you're familiar with that person? Mm-hmm. He <laughs> kind of ragged on you because he thought that you were a little too favorably inclined towards the fire based on its shortcomings. And I see a whole list of kind of the shortcomings here of what it has, okay? Okay, because it's $200, maybe it's lacking some of the fineries of a more expensive tablet. The operating system needs a little bit of work. The applications they add either are non-existent or bare-bones, do you I think, don't that's think that's too much true. to ask? Okay. I, I, think, I think what he said about non-existent or bare bones is completely false. But I also think there's room for a high-end and a low-end in every market. And I think in this case, the iPad is an excellent high-end, and this is an excellent low-end. So you need to fill both. What about the issues regarding medium-sized tablets, 7 inches, and the larger tablets, 9.7, 10.1, that kind of thing? Now, Steve Jobs, who I guess has been proven right about Flash, we can argue that later, Steve Jobs said they didn't believe in a 7-inch tablet. So where do you think the 7-inch tablet fits in? Strictly on price or because you want to get it in your purse and the 10-inch doesn't do it? I think the 7-inch tablet is an ideal size for anyone who wants to travel or go anywhere with their tablet. Uh, I find the 7-inch tablet better for much better for one-handed use. You can actually hold it in one hand. It's much better for slipping into a bag or a coat or a purse. It's just a more portable, convenient size. I find a lot of the 10-inch tablets, the kinds of things, it's great, but I want to leave it at home. It's too big to take with with me effortlessly. Well, in my case, I take my iPhone with me. I'm happy yeah. with that. You know, I live with that because I look at it this way. Okay, I will hold the iPad a certain distance from my eyes. I will bring the iPhone closer, and in terms of my field of vision, the difference begins to minimize. I can see that. The 7-inch tablet, for instance, when you're reading things or when you're looking at web pages, you'll simply just get more real estate than you do on a phone. Uh, you'll have to flip pages fewer times to read the same amount of text. Uh, you'll have to zoom in and out less. What about this other thing I read in the review that maybe the text is not as sharp and crisp as it could be? I didn't find that. I found the, the, text, the text is perfectly nice. Okay. You know, I'll accept that. I mean, it isn't as sharp and crisp as it would be if the screen was an even higher density than it is, but this is pretty much the standard density for tablets. All right. I'll accept that as an honest review. So you gave it three stars out of five? No, I gave it four. Okay. You gave it four stars out of five. 
So yes, I real- almost never give anything a five. To, to, to get a five, it has to be perfect. And there's no such product? It's extremely rare. I think over eight years, I've given like five fives. Okay, so if you want to do content creation, something that serves more as a notebook replacement, the iPad fits there. If you yep. want to look at videos, read books, the Kindle Fire is pretty good. Now, yep. for 50 bucks more, I get a Nook. What does it offer me that the Fire doesn't, or what is it lacking? Well, the problem with the Nook actually is not what it offers that the Fire doesn't. The problem with the Nook is that the existing Nook color is $200. Uh, the Nook tablet and the Nook color are both better readers than the Fire. The magazine and especially the children's book experience on the Nooks is much, much, much better. Uh, cookbooks are also better. So you have these categories of reading that are better than the Nooks. The problem I'm having right now as I look at the Nook tablet is uh, making an argument for the Nook tablet over the Nook color. Okay. So tell us more. Okay. Um, the Nook tablet and the Nook Color are both also Android-based tablets. Uh, just like the Kindle Fire, they are heavily hacked, altered versions of Android that don't look anything like Android. Uh, they are also very easy to use. But what's happening here is that they are much more focused on reading than Amazon's tablet is. Uh, if you want music and video on the Nook tablet, for instance, you have to go to third-party apps. And right now, actually, there's no legal way to download music and video off the Internet directly to a Nook tablet. You have to stream. Uh, you can load your own files, but there's only one gigabyte of space available on the Nook tablet to do that. Only one gigabyte? Yep. Fortunately, there's a micro SD card slot. And you can use the micro SD card for whatever files you want. So you pretty much include the cost of a card in the price of the Nook tablet. Because if you want to use your own files, you'll have to get a card. Okay, so it's two fifty with bare bones memory. What's a card cost? Say you want to add eight gigabytes to it. Yeah, it's like twenty bucks. Okay, so it's not a big deal, but suddenly it's getting more and more expensive. Exactly. Than the Kindle Fire. What about the ebook selection? Because Barnes and Noble obviously is competing head-on with Amazon on that score. How are the selections? About the same thing? The selections are about the same, but the experience with the Nook is better. For instance, uh, with the Nook, you can walk into any Barnes & Noble store, and your town probably has one, and uh, for an hour on Barnes & Noble's Wi-Fi, you can sample and read any book you want if you're standing in the store. You uh, You can get the people who work in the store to essentially act as tech support for your Nook. You can't do that with the Kindle. And then also, the Nook has these gorgeous, colorful, interactive, animated children's books. And the Kindle's children's books are much more static. They just look like somebody slapped a children's book down on a scanner. So the reading experience on the Nook is better. The other stuff other than reading experience on the Kindle Fire is better. Okay, so if I'm going into my Christmas shopping mode and I want something that's really good for reading, convenient size, 7 inches, which do I choose? If you want something really good for reading, you go with the Nook. If you want something that's more about music, video, playing games, you go with the Kindle. And, of course, if you have lots of money to burn, you get both. 
or you uh, combine your money and you get an iPad, and then you have something as powerful as a laptop. Exactly. And that's a good question, too, here, which is the ultimate consideration is that people will still regard the Barnes & Noble Nook and the Kindle Fire as potential alternatives to buying an iPad. I'm looking to buy a tablet. I can't afford more than one. And I could look at, for example, maybe I can get a refurb first-generation iPad for, what, $299, Not that much more expensive than a Fire. I have to make a decision. I and- don't understand why people believe that a nation of 300 million people can only support one product in a category. Do we have one car? Do we have one refrigerator? Do we have one model of house? I'll tell you what. Uh- we're going to answer that question and more with Sasha Segan. We're on the Tech Night Out Live. <laughs> The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com If you owe money to the IRS, you can't make the problem go away by yourself. But with the help of Dan Pilla, you can get your problem solved once and for all. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. For 30 years, I've helped thousands of people solve their tax debt problem, and I can help you solve yours, too. We take a very simple but proven three-step approach to solving your problem. First, we stabilize IRS collection actions so you don't have to worry about the IRS seizing your bank account or paycheck. Next, we build a comprehensive plan to get your tax debt reduced to the fullest extent possible, sometimes even completely eliminated. And finally, we work with you every step of the way to get your problem solved once and for all. Call us for a free consultation. Call 1-800-346-6829. We'll work together to get your problem solved guaranteed. Dan Pilla has been protecting taxpayers from the IRS for three decades, and he can help you too. Call us today at 800-346-6829. That's 800-34-NO-TAX. Storable foods, check. Water filters, check. Gold and silver, check. Tactical gear, check. What's missing from your survival checklist? An essential that should not be taken for granted. Storable vitamins and nutritional supplements. Since many foods do not contain the essential micronutrients your body needs, you need Survival Rx, the world's first ultra-long-term storable vitamins and nutritional supplements. How long? Survival Rx products have a shelf life of up to 30 years, thanks to triple nitrogen flux 
washing for guaranteed freshness. Go to survivalrx.com for our complete product list, including powdered milk and whey protein isolate. And remember, November is Nuclear Disaster Preparedness Month at survivalrx.com. With every order until November 30th, you will receive a free bottle of potassium iodate. Just enter coupon code radio. Go to survivalrx.com. That's survival, the letter R, the letter X.com. Add survivalrx.com to your preparedness checklist today. Hi, this is Alex Jones. This holiday season, more than half of our nation is in need of help due to the shattered economy. So now is the time to express the holiday spirit more than ever. Consider helping those you love with the most important gift, a supply of delicious, easy to fix, and very storable foods from eFoodsDirect.com. Their holiday gift and family pack start at $99 for a 16-day supply. All their five-week supply of quick and easy-to-fix meals includes a personal backpack in case of a grab-and-go emergency. Order their combo gift pack and you'll save hundreds, plus get free shipping on your entire order. Call eFoods today at 800-409-5633 or visit them online at eFoodsDirect.com forward slash Alex to find the special. That's 800-409-5633 or eFoodsDirect.com forward slash Alex. You can bet your life on eFoodsDirect. You're listening to the Tech Night Owl Live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next. Sasha Segan from PCMag.com on our final segment of the Tech Night Owl Live. And we're looking at the ultimate question here. On your Christmas shopping list, you can only buy one tablet. Must it be... The iPad, or would you go for the Kindle Fire or the Nook, or maybe one of the cheaper Kindles? Well, the iPad is the supreme tablet. And if you don't mind the large size and you have that budget, then you buy an iPad. Uh, The Kindle and the Nook are cut down in a lot of ways. They're less expensive. They're somewhat less capable than an iPad. But for the price, they are also both very good choices. Uh, The Nook, more towards reading the Kindle more towards music, video, and games. And then there's the, as you said, there's the regular Kindles and the Nook Simple Touch Reader down at $79.99, pure reading experience. Uh, This is a nation of 300 million people. We can support more than one product in a category. I would certainly hope so. And, of course, we have how many billions of people around the world? Yeah, though these devices aren't available uh, globally yet. I know the Kindle and the Nook are both uh, only available in a couple of countries at the moment. Okay, which countries, by the way, other than obviously the U.S., France, maybe, U.K.? I'm not sure off the top of my head. Uh, I'm, I primarily review for the U.S. market. As I said, 300 million people, it's enough for me. Okay, so this Christmas, do you think that the Kindle Fire is going to make a dent Against the iPad, or is it just going to expand the market, give people more options, and that's where you go? I think the Kindle Fire is going to expand the market. I think a lot of iPads are going to be sold. I think the Kindle Fire will cut into the iPod Touch. Uh, I think it might even cut into smartphones as people decide, oh, well, maybe I don't need to spend $100 a month on a smartphone contract. I could just have a dumb phone and this cool little tablet. Uh, I think the iPad is relatively safe here, but there's a lot of other areas where uh, the Kindle Fire could take some market share. And the other thing to consider, too, though, is you can't use the Kindle Fire 
on a 3G network is strictly Wi-Fi, right? Neither the Kindle Fire nor the Nook Color nor the Nook Tablet have 3G. They're all Wi-Fi. Uh, that seems to be part of the low price. Okay, and there's no cameras. No cameras. Uh, no Bluetooth. These are the, these are consumption tablets. So the only communication you make there is maybe instant messaging and email. Email, instant messaging. Yeah, um, yeah, and then of course anything you do through the web, social networking, Facebook, Twitter. Okay. Now, in terms of the Nook, any interface peculiarities you find there or sluggishness? Uh, the Nook definitely feels a little faster than the Kindle Fire. The Nook's interface, though, is very much more geared towards reading. It's easier to get at your music and video through the Kindle Fire's interface. With the Nook, that takes an extra step. So once again, uh, the Nook is prioritizing reading over other choices, whereas the Kindle Fire makes it easier to get to multimedia. Now, the other consideration here, of course, is that the other Kindles have the e-ink, which is beautifully sharp text, but very sluggish in terms of refreshing and turning pages. So this is kind of a step down when you go to a more traditional tablet, isn't it? Absolutely. If Well, if all you want to do is you want to read adult books, black and white pages of text, e-ink will always reign supreme. It's beautifully visible outdoors. The battery life is endless. It is great for displaying pages of black and white text. Uh, color becomes really useful, and these LCD screens become useful for magazines, for children's books, for comic books, and for the web. Now, I understand here that Amazon might release a larger fire that is more traditionally sized in terms of a tablet, like 10 inches, give or take. So in that sense, then they really jump into the iPod game, don't they? Yeah, a 10-inch fire would be a direct competitor to the iPad, and I don't necessarily see that as compelling as this smaller 7-inch device. The 7-inch, of course, benefits then by being small, by being cheap. It's small, it's cheap, it's convenient, it's light, it's easy to carry around. It has all of the positive benefits of being more portable. All right, so let's look at the other companies producing those 7-inch tablets. Obviously, if you can get a Kindle Fire or a Nook, do you buy the products from these other companies like Samsung, or is that hurting them? Uh, the Kindle, that is who... The, that is who these products are really hurting. Samsung, Acer, Velocity Micro, Asus, all of these other companies making Android tablets. The problem is they're all running Google's Android Honeycomb operating system, which is not very usable. It is, it is in many ways genuinely hard to use. And uh, the Kindle Fire and the Nook are both cheaper. They're both easier to use. Maybe they're less powerful, but they're basically exiling the rest of these tablets to the geek crowd. Okay, so if you want to sell something to the mass market, they're going to have problems. Yeah, if you want to sell some if you want to sell something to the mass market, you have to explain very clearly on the front page of the device what are you supposed to do with this thing. Android Honeycomb doesn't do that. These tablets do. So, in the end here, where does that leave all these other companies? Are they going to be supplanted to a large extent by Barnes & Noble and Amazon in terms of getting their 7-inch tablets going? Well, remember, these other companies are hardware companies, not software companies. So I can see them shopping around. They're going to have to go to Google now and maybe also go to Microsoft and say, 
can you give us better software? Clearly, Honeycomb has not taken off. It has not become mainstream. It's too hard to use. Uh, can you give us something that is clearer for the average user? And that offers a lot of opportunity for Windows 8 to make inroads in tablets. The question would be, of course, what kind of user experience you get with Windows 8 on a tablet. Absolutely. I would say if it's similar to the user experience you get with Windows 7, with Windows Phone 7 on a phone, uh, then it will be easier to use than Android. I find Windows Phone 7 very easy to use. Well, I agree with you there, although I'm kind of, you know, of mixed feelings with having those tiles on a desktop interface. I've been playing with the Windows 8 beta. Right, but a tablet isn't really a desktop interface. Of course. So, yeah, I completely agree with you that the tiles feel a little weird on a desktop PC. But the tiles on a 7- or 9-inch tablet, that might be just right. So, therefore, that would be the other competition. Now, in the smartphone area, we're seeing now, I think AT&T is going to carry a Nokia Windows phone product. Where is that going to leave things like Android? It leaves Android with some real competition, finally. Windows Phone has been Windows Phone has been floundering because it's uh, because of generally mediocre hardware and a lack of enthusiasm from the carriers. If the hardware gets better and if the carriers get more enthusiastic, then Google is under threat. And then we're going to see some real competition there between Google and Microsoft. Uh, for the past six months, Google's pretty much been able to take the market for granted. Basically, it's them and the iPhone, and that's it. Yeah, I mean, there's dying BlackBerry, but RIM has been doing everything they can to shoot themselves in both feet. They don't even need competitive help to lose at this point. (laughs) I don't want to say much about that. I think that they're going to have to make a few changes, or they will be an afterthought in a few years. Absolutely. I've always been a fan of RIM. I think uh, their CEO, Mike Lazaridis, is a brilliant engineer but they've been too slow to jump on various UI and usability trends. Um, Now they're talking about releasing their new operating system in the middle of next year. They're going to be too late again. They need to speed it up. And, of course, how can you tell developers, I'm cracking the whip. You better speed it up. I have to have it Thursday or we're going to be out of business. That's going to be a really big problem. We'll have to talk about that in the future. Okay, it's that time, Sasha Segan. Tell us more about the stuff that you write about. Well, I'm the lead analyst for tablets and phones here at PCMag.com. If you go on PCMag.com, you'll find my reviews and columns about uh, the mobile market, tablets, phones, Android, iPhone, Windows Phone. I've got some pretty strong opinions, and you can feel free to disagree. Okay, and that's why we'd like to have you come back every so often. By the way, you can find more of the things we do at TechNightOwl.com. That's TechNightOwl.com. We are TechNightOwl at Twitter. We also have a newly updated forum, forum forum.TechNightOwl.com. We totally rejiggered the thing to make it look more interesting. And there's the other show, the Paracast, about things that go bump in the night, UFOs. Bigfoot, lots of other stuff at theparacast.com. That's theparacast.com. To Sasha Segan, thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Out Live. Thanks for having me on. The Tech Night Out Live is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. We'll be back next week. Same bat time, same bat channel.